It ain't easy being a white nationalist or even just a white advocate in virtually all of our native lands. The effort is high risk, often low reward, and the temptation to quit and return to a fake normalcy is real. It's a classic fork in the road in which one path represents salary, relative safety, and self-interest, while the other means courage, struggle, and increasingly, even jail time. And many of us end up choosing easy street out of fear, frustration, or a sense of futility. Having gone from normie to fire-breathing Anon to enthusiastic networker and activist to now a semi-retired jaded country gentleman, I'm familiar with both paths and sometimes have tried to split the difference. Obviously, we still do this show and try to help our people however we can, on air or behind the scenes. But knowing the stakes and the intent of our enemies, I should be doing more and you probably should too. There are, however, a handful of diehard, forward-facing, indefatigable stalwarts out there who are exemplars and take the arrows for us. And when you know what we know, there's really no excuse for not manning up in some way for our race, whatever it is. In that spirit, we are honored to welcome back not just one, but two of the boldest and bravest of our race, and also two of our all-time listener favorites. Australia's Thomas Sewell is in the white room on the road with us again this week, plus a certain Mr. Christopher Cantwell. So let's see if either of them are at risk of going wobbly on us, or if they're readying an adrenaline shot to your spinal column as we speak. So Mr. Producer, hit it. Welcome, everyone, to Full House, the world's finest show for white fathers, aspiring ones, and the whole biofam. I am your literally hamstrung host, Coach Finstock. Yes, my surgically sampled hammy is uh, completely jacked up this week, but we are back with another hour or possibly two of commentary that was recently described by my pal as eminently listenable unless the host feels obligated to talk about geopolitics for three hours. Now, we haven't done that too often, so he's just complaining. Anyway, before we meet the birth panel and get cracking here, big thanks to Kadias, Derek, Knickerbocker, and Charles for their kind support of the show. If you'd like to be like those philosophers of philanthropy, and you should, visit us at givesendgo.com slash fullhouse. And with that, let's get on with the show, as Cantwell always says. First up, and true to That's form. That's not what I say. <laughs> uh, on, all right, <laughs> say, sorry, sorry. All right, all right on, on with, with it. it. All right, all right. It's my show, not yours, Chris. <laughs> Pipe down. I, let me get to you. <laughs> my bad. I, I winged that one. That's why I screwed it up. First up in true to form, he shamefully maligned our special guests just before the show yet again <laughs> by calling them precocious Johnny-come-latelys who should respect their elders. <laughs> you you got to stop doing that. <laughs> What's up? Oh, man. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, I had a joke for, you know, this This ties in two two possible things uh, in common with the show today. 
In what year were kangaroos discovered? <clears throat> a leap year. Oh, very good. Yeah. See, kangaroos, oh, we got Thomas Sewell. And it's, timely. And, yeah. yeah, timely. And uh, why does February get the leap day? White <sighs> months can't leap. Mm, I like mm -hmm. the first one better. What, white <laughs> month? Just because it's like a winter month? Is that the reference? No, it's it's oh. nigger history month. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, thank you. Yes, it is. I know. It, uh, somebody said that it has not been a particularly over-the-top Black History Month, and there was some debate as to whether I said the that you and others, Rollo. Sorry, I don't know if you wanted to be fingered on that one. And there was a debate as to whether the system is deliberately dialing back the propaganda, or whether we have just checked out and tuned uh, a lot of it out. Sam. No, I think in the last, in the last few years, really that, that is the case. You don't hear a lot about so-called black history month. Yeah. When I put on the streaming thing, it's not just like called black, the black, black voices. Yeah. All right. Rollo's hot, hot on the drops this week. All right. Uh, Sam, welcome, welcome yes. back. Aside from the joke, I assume you're excited to go, but we should probably get. Yes. Back. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal, buddy. Thank and you. it is, it is late here. Uh, you know, I forget how we oh, did yeah. the show with Australia before, but yeah, real night owls here. It's, it's I think we did it in the afternoon one time. Yeah, probably Didn't on we the do weekend. it in the afternoon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll make it count. Next up, our intrepid producer who gets the shakes if we don't record every seven days and is always bugging me about when the next show is. And he is now, of course, immortally renamed Lotharioolo. What's up, buddy? Welcome back. Uh, Chris is on the drops tonight. That's not me. Oh, is that Chris? Where it's due. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were, they were timely and clear. I should have known. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't be expected to pay attention to this show. Okay. I got magic <laughs> gathering to play. Oh, you better not be playing tonight. Come on. This is, special. you'll never know. That's true. No, <clears throat> no screen sharing. Uh, anything real quick here at the top, Rolo. Nothing quick at the top. Maybe later. We'll see. I, I won't call you Lothariolo too often because it just doesn't roll off the tongue. But uh, yeah. Good portmanteau. He's got dates. He's got dates coming from cross seas. All right. Next up. He is not a pornographer, but he did develop a custom paywall option for Full House to deliver our infamous sex show. So perhaps we should take a more circumspect <laughs> look. The one man content producing machine and the host of the radical agenda, I guess still technically and Real politics, Chris. Welcome back, buddy. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, this could be a good time, I'm sure. Absolutely. And uh, when we, uh, you know, it was a little bit of an impulsive decision, but I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's get Chris on with Tom and uh, add a little bit more energy to our mix here. Uh, real quick at the top, Chris, we'll have a lot of ears on this show. Anything new on your end, either uh, you know, from surreal politics, radical agenda, or in your life. Um, nothing that, uh, no, no announcements to be made, really. I've got some guests coming up. We've got, um, uh, a couple guys from Antelope Hill, Antelope Hill Publishing are going to be on, um, Radical Agenda tomorrow and, right. uh, or, well, it won't be tomorrow by the time people listen to this, I guess, but, uh, the next episode of Radical Agenda. And then on Monday, we've got, um, uh, uh Augustus Invictus is going to come give us some legal analysis on the Rondo case. And, uh. You know, everything's more or less status quo here. Otherwise, 
Very good. Yeah. Don't forget surrealpolitics.com. If you want to sign up and let us uh, get a little credit, use the reference uh, full house, I believe is the code that's always in our show notes. And uh, yeah, good for you for having Augustus on uh, as the lawfare has kicked off more intensely with Thomas Rousseau getting, I guess, detained slash arrested for the torch march, uh, Rondo getting released and then arguably unconstitutionally rearrested. Uh, that'll be a good one. Good for you for getting the jump on Augustus before I could. <laughs> All right. And finally, back just over a year after his last appearance, he is one of the most respected white nationalists on earth. No exaggeration. If he were a video game character, his ratings would be all the way to the right side for strength, leadership, integrity, and more. However, we have discovered his Achilles heel, and that is an exceptionally low score for humor. Tom Sewell, welcome back. We got you figured out. <laughs> yes, well, I appreciate you having me on once again, and it's finally <laughs> have someone challenge me and uh, let the world know what my weaknesses are. Positive. <laughs> and how can I get stronger if people aren't nipping at me and biting me and attacking me? That's right. In the right. streets and on air. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a delay. We're doing so good. Tom is such a gentleman. He's on his way home from a long day at the job or a long week at the job site. And he's joining us from the car. And I joke about the humor thing. I think you admitted to that before. Maybe a little bit of stand up uh, down under, uh, you know, toughen you up a little bit on that front. Regardless, I'll stop joking. And let's start with the heartwarming stuff, if I could, big guy, before moving on to the tougher issues. How are you and your two ladies doing? Oh, absolutely brilliant. So the little miss, as I call her, she's walking, she's blabbering, uh, she's understanding, and she's just doing really well. She's on the raw milk, she's on the cheese, on the eggs, on the steak, on the blueberries. She's got to be on the frozen blueberries. <laughs> so she's a blueberry monster, and uh, yeah, she's, she's a perfect hybrid of her mother and father. Um, she's got blonde hair and kind of greenish eyes and she's a clever little thing. So I'm, I'm excited. Can't wait to have another one. Amen. I was going to ask, she's getting old enough to the point where we could possibly get greedy here and ask if number two is in the offing or, uh, a twinkle in your Not eye. Yet. Something that's... <laughs> Not yet, but we're practicing. Very good. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to play on the spot, Tom, but, uh, did you, I can't remember if I asked this last time you were on. Uh, did you ever end up doing the bit and tying the knot, or is that still on the to-do list? Oh, we haven't done the ceremony yet. That's a very good point. We're waiting to get land. Once we've got land, we're going to get married in blood and soil. Amen. Yeah, I'm going to ask about the land. Just, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We don't want to spend 50 grand on a wedding when we can put 50 grand down on property and then uh, build our own you know, gazebo and function center and everything we're going to use for, as a community and invest the money in that and do our own catering. So we, we want to do it all ourselves. There's about six or seven weddings that haven't occurred that are waiting to occur, but it's just all, it's all resting on finding the right property. 
Amen, brother. Very smart. Yeah, we've definitely said before that the hyper expensive rings and weddings are a massive waste of resources, basically a vanity project for uh, over materialized women. Uh, serious question for you. Has, since becoming a father, has that changed your calculus, your risk calculation in terms of the movement? Has it made you more intense? What's been the impact of having that precious little girl under your roof when it comes to what you do for our people? Oh, it's only made me stronger. I wouldn't say anything's changed in terms of my intent. Uh, my wife, she's a Spartan. She's an absolute Spartan woman, so she's got no fear. Uh, she knows the, the circumstances. She knows the consequences. And when we go to battle, she tells me, come back on your shield or with it. You know, there's no there's no cowardice in this family. So, uh, you know, it's, it's ride or die. We, we've got no... No stepping back at all. Amen, brother. Uh, last sort of housekeeping thing here, and I think I've probably asked you this, you know, all three previous shows. Are you out of the woods yet uh, legally, or do you still have one or two of those dust-ups hanging over your head? Apologies for not knowing the specifics yet. That's all right. Everything was resolved about six months ago, or just, just under six months ago. Everything's resolved. Uh, no more corrections order. Uh, no more bail conditions, no more court, no more prison. It's all done and dusted. And then about a month ago, we received paperwork. The, uh, the Jewish prosecutors are pushing the case to the Supreme Court. Uh, even though it's all done and dusted, they want an appeal. So we're going to, a, to the Supreme Court uh, March 22nd or 23rd, I think, um, and uh, it's going before a panel of Supreme Court judges to see whether making a Jew piss himself in public uh, <laughs> is deserving of, of going back to prison. Uh, what are So they're appealing your acquittal or time served on the dust up out in the bush or was it Australia days? Uh, OK, that. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that's over three, three years ago now. Obviously, nothing compared to what I'm sure we'll get into with the show. Nothing compared to what Thomas Rousseau and. Rob Rundo and all the other political prisoners are going through right now, but obviously they're not happy with time served. They want more jail time. They want 18 months of jail time, and uh, they're not resting until they until they get it or until the Supreme Court knocks it down. And so, yeah, we're going to go before a panel of judges, and they're going to decide whether the, the uh, offense fits the punishment. Incredible. If I could, uh, yeah. if if I could question about this, uh, if you guys have talked about this on another episode before, I'll, I'll just have to go back and listen to it. But are you saying that you got you were charged, you were convicted, you were sentenced, and you did the time, and the and the prosecutor is appealing the sentence, trying to get you more time? Uh, very similar. That's not exactly correct, but that's pretty close to what's happened. So I didn't get sentenced and then do the time. I did the time in pre-sentence detention because the counterterrorism police lied to the court uh, during my bail applications and said I was threatening witnesses from prison. They never provided any evidence of this. And when we finally appealed the fact that I didn't get bail after seven months in solitary confinement, we finally appealed the bail to uh, a higher court, which is called a county court, which is like a middle court. When we appealed it, uh, the police were forced to present evidence, and they stood down. They didn't present the evidence because they didn't have any, and I was given bail straight away uh, after seven months solitary confinement. So I did the time in pre-sentence detention, 
And then when it finally did go to court about two and a half years later, they, which was very recently, end of last year, uh, they gave me a month in jail uh, instead of seven. So I didn't have to do any extra doubt, any extra prison because it was time served. And uh, so now we've been a free man. And the Jewish prosecutor is appealing it to the, the Supreme Court, uh, which is where murderers and rapists and terrorists go. And uh, they're trying to get 18 months. They think it's unacceptable that the judge only gave us one month uh, and that, you know, we should have gotten more. That's wild. You know, I don't know the uh, I don't know the legal system in Australia there. I know it's theoretically possible in the United States for uh, the, the government to appeal a sentence to a, a higher court. But you, you almost never hear about that. Is that is that more common there or uh I imagine that uh, it's obvious that they're singling you out for your politics, but is that as unheard of there as I think it is? It's extremely rare, extremely rare, and I can only think of a couple very, very high-profile cases. So, again, it's that anarcho-tyranny. They would never appeal uh, anything like this for a murderer or a pedophile or someone that's done some heinous crime against the, the community. But they obviously have unlimited energy and, and prosecution power when there's someone with the political view they don't <coughs> like. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that's that's wild, man. They uh, appealing a sentence because it was too low. You know, I mean, in uh, in prison, you know, guys are always appealing their sentences. You know, they're they're always you know the most sentence appeals are hey, you gave me too much time. You know, the government tends to. Uh, Say all right, you know you, you've been sentenced. That's the end of it. To to appeal a sentence because it was too too short. It's very, you did seven months. He get, the judge gave you one to sort of like rub it in their nose. Really, it sounds like the judge kind of knew that they were screwing you. The judge the judge knew that I shouldn't have gotten any any prison time at all. So what they charged right. me with was uh, acting in a riotous manner. Uh, well, it. It became a, a different charge because they changed the law while I was in jail. Uh, something about disorder, like group disorder. And what that means is that there was like a similar incident to, uh, you know, Rondo or, you know, a similar incident where two, two groups had clashed. And I was present uh, at this incident. And because I was present at, at this incident, they're suggesting that I was involved despite having no proof that I was involved. Um, I've been charged with basically like a group of fray. I, I tried to go to trial with it, but the police would not give us the evidence that exonerated us from committing any of the crimes they alleged. And the reason why they wouldn't give us the evidence is because Channel 9, which is a big TV channel here in Australia, the federal government, which is actually the, it was actually a barrister for ASIO, which is our version of the CIA and the counterterrorism police put three barristers forward and applied for something called public interest immunity. And what they said was, it's not in the interest of the public that Thomas Sewell and the defense get evidence that could potentially exonerate them because the evidence is injurious to the public's perception of the state. And the judge heard the evidence in a secret court, a secret closed court. The judge admitted that the process of even doing this was against the Open Courts Act, but because of the pressure from three barristers, or three King's Counsels, I believe they were, they were high-level lawyers, one representing Channel 9, the media, 
one representing the counterterrorism police, which we know as the terror police, and one representing the government, which was the, uh, the ASIO, the Australian CIA. Uh, the judge knew that that was a faux pas against the Open Courts Act 2004, but he did it anyway because of the sheer pressure, the weight of the state on him. So he heard the evidence in a closed court. He admitted later on that the first time we got to hear him speak after hearing the evidence, he admitted that the evidence was in favor of the defense and would help the defense's case in trial because what it would show is that I didn't commit a crime. And uh, what it would show is that these people created a crime and that ASIO and uh, that the media were entrapping us or trying to entrap us into a crime, that we more or less acted reserved and responsible. Uh, and there was a few people that may have acted a little bit less reserved, but overall we had behaved in a defensive manner, not an offensive manner, after a couple of us were actually hit by a motor vehicle in this incident uh, by a group of communist anti-Jewish <laughs> terrorists that had attacked us in a car park. And uh, the, the, uh, the video evidence or audio evidence or whatever evidence they had, because they had a, a secret camera there, they had ASIO agents filming us. Um, and because what this would show is that the Australian state is actively trying to entrap and persecute Australian citizens for their political beliefs, the judge ruled that we couldn't have access to the evidence because it was injurious to the public's perception of the state. That, those were his exact words. So we couldn't get the evidence, so we decided not to go to trial because we would be going to trial blind with a, with a stacked jury against us. Uh, and we instead pleaded to this group affray charge, a very minor charge. <laughs> Although it faces 10 years in prison, we got a sentencing indication that we would get less than six months. I'd already served seven months. And so uh, we took the deal. We got one month, and now they're appealing it because they want 18 months after we took the deal. That is wild, man. It, it, it injurious <laughs> to the public's perception of the state. You know, <laughs> just, the exact words, correct. Uh, wow. I knew that was going to be catnip for you, Chris, with your uh, newly legalistic ears and eyes. Uh, <laughs> real quick, um, you everybody knows that you're out, but you just have how many more months do you have of supervised release before you're a free, free man? Real quick. Um, it, it, they run out of excuses to keep me on in December, but I might be able to okay. get off. I, I was hoping to be off last December. I'm going to file another motion in June and hopefully get it over with then. Gotcha. All right. Godspeed, brother. Uh, Tom, moving on. Yeah, it's, they, they want to get more pounds <clears throat> of flesh out of you. And it makes me think, you know, uh, in America, are, are you envious of Americans and especially American diplomats? Uh, dissidents with our First Amendment and free speech rights, and uh, we can still throw Romans, yet you and the lads somehow got a hand gesture uh, banned. Was that for the entire country of Australia? Uh, I, I'm doing the long question again. Sorry, but what, ha what happened on Australia Day, and are you envious of Americans with our quote-unquote rights? I'm not envious, and the main reason is that I think that the anarcho-tyranny is very similar no matter what country you're in. I think whether you're in Australia, Germany, Britain, Canada, United States, I think it is overall pretty similar. Obviously, Americans have more fundamental rights, those constitutional rights that we don't have. However, look at what's happened to uh, Chris himself. Look what's happened to Rundo, uh, Thomas Rousseau, and all the Jan 6 
political prisoners, uh, the Constitution hasn't protected them. It hasn't helped them. Um, yeah. They're still being uh, tortured and locked up and mistreated despite those fundamental uh, laws that are meant to be on their side. And laws are meaningless if they're not uh, justly enforced. And what we experienced on Australia Day was we had 67 guys, which is, I think, the biggest turnout we've ever had for a public-facing event. There's been private events that have been bigger, but that's certainly the biggest public-facing event. A lot of risk involved, and to get those numbers was, was definitely an increase in morale and manpower than usual. We had 67 men who attended uh, a rally for Australia Day, which is our, our like, uh, 4th of July. It's our national holiday. It's very sort of Civic Patriot Day, but obviously there carries heavier uh, symbolism. And we attempted to attend our own uh, rally in public in the CBD of Sydney, which has some very uh, iconic uh, buildings, very iconic, uh, I guess you could say, the international community would be able to recognize where we were Despite not knowing Australia very well, they'd be able to recognize uh, the, the, the public setting that we would be placed in, in the city. And we were unable to do this public demonstration on this long weekend uh, because the political police, along with the riot squad, along with the transit police, along with, very interestingly, the Raptor squad, which is the anti-organized crime, anti-bikey task force, uh, the four police task force put together uh, numbered a similar number to us, and they detained us while we were on public transport and stopped us. They gave us a legal, well, a pseudo-legal order saying that we could not attend the Sydney CBD on Australia Day. We could not attend a public Australia Day function for the period of the Australia Day long weekend, and that breach of that order would be 12 months in prison. And so this is very, very clearly a fake law. This is not a real law. This is one of those vague uh, public order concepts that's within our legal system that are very selectively imposed on us, but not on the aboriginals and communists who are rioting and demonstrating in the city on that day. Roger, and was that what provided the excuse for the Roman salute ban? Uh, you know, did they seize on that and then push through legislation? You know, Florida has done that with the uh, Goyam Defense League demonstrations to push anti-Semitism laws, et cetera. No, it's unrelated. We, uh, the federal law had already been drafted and was being passed through some of the House's uh, six months prior to our Australia Day demonstration. So that's been in the works probably since our rally last year, about 12 months ago, we did a rally called Destroy Pedo Freaks, where we <laughs> protested against uh, the transgendered uh, drag queen story hour that was happening uh, in Melbourne. And since then, they have been drafting state laws to ban the Roman salute, and shortly after, they, they were drafting federal laws so that's been in the works for some time. But that was the first rally we have done since those laws passed through both houses of parliament. Gotcha. And what, what's the penalty for, uh, for snapping a stiff one? I believe that it's 12 months in prison. And I think 
ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars in fines. It's it's Incredible. a large number of fines. Sorry. Yeah. Obviously, they're very afraid of the the stiffy arm. They're very <laughs> afraid of the the right armed erect, uh, you know, open hand, open gesture. They're very afraid of that. That powerful phallic masculine symbol that you are absolutely seeing. Perhaps you could just all pretend to be Hitler and do, you know, the receiving one where he's sort of like waving, you know, he's catching all the power. Maybe maybe that would be, uh, you know, splitting well, splitting hairs, sneak by. <laughs> that, that is one of the strategies we're going with. We're currently contesting the erect, the erection. Uh, and if, and if that doesn't succeed... We will then contest a, you know, more more a uh, like a half a half salute. We'll see if a half salute will pass. We'll keep testing this until we get down to a wave. <laughs> that doesn't. I believe he's getting. You're getting better on the humor, the, uh, big guy. Yeah, I take it back. See, <laughs> I, I believe. I believe in the artillery corps. Uh, this is called bracketing. You, you bracket, you fire for effect, and we're bracketing the mortar fire. We'll find we'll find the hot zone. We'll find where the target is. Amen, brother. Uh, what do you think? You, um, go yeah, ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. The the um, as you uh, in the in the subject of the free speech vein. I mean, I guess what you're describing about your experience is sort of it leads me down the answer to this. But you know, I, I've toyed with the idea that it might be better just to have the laws formally in place that you know what you're allowed to say and you know what you're not allowed to say as opposed to what they do sort of in the United States here where yeah. they, you know, they're like, Oh, you can say whatever you want. And then they just find some reason to prosecute you. But it sounds to me like, you know, as I, I was thinking of this, I was going to ask you this question. And I guess that my answer sort of came to me, which is that they do the same thing there. It's like, if, if you have, you know, there's things that you're not allowed to say, and then you end up having to, as you say, bracket your fire, <laughs> you know, to see, you know, well, at what point does it really kick in, right? Because they're going to find some way. If you're com if you're conveying the message, they're going to come after you, and it doesn't matter if you actually violate the speech codes, I guess. Yeah, this is like the most Pharisaical type of thing. <clears throat> it's it's whatever whatever they don't like that they will find a way to oppress it. You know, you have rights as long as they don't mess with you. The moment they think that you are any kind of threat or might uh, be exposing something, then yeah, any you know they will they will find a way. There there are no rights under this Jewish system. But Tom, is it, uh, it you know the um, in in Australia now? You say that they they recently crafted this rule against the the Roman salute, but it's my understanding that like prior to that they had some kind of hate speech law, right? I mean, it, is was it? previously just a strict question of intent or were there certain things you weren't allowed to say or or how is it structured if you could tell us briefly so they have a series of laws that have been in place as early as 1975 they've been renewed in the 90s i think 96 they got renewed again in the early 2000s i think after cronulla riots and they've been renewed again in the 2015s since the anti-islam movement so every time there's been resistance against the system so the creation of the laws anti-discrimination act was the same time they abolished the white australia policy so that's in the 70s then you've got the reinforcement of the law in the 90s when there was a pauline hansen uh white nationalist soft white nationalist uh pushback against uh the mongrelization of australia and the asianization of australia then in the 2000s you have a pushback 
a cultural pushback against uh, the Arabs that were coming into the country and you had the Cronulla riots where Aussie men went down to the beach and were sick to death of the sexual harassment by these Muslim rape gangs and bashed every Arab that they saw on site, which is probably one of the most heroic days in Australia's history. And then about 10 years after that, you have uh, Blair Cottrell, myself, Neil Erickson, Chris Shortis, a few other guys pushing the anti-Islam scene to the next limit here in Australia. They renewed the laws again. And they've recently uh, readjusted the laws in the last five years and again in the last year uh, to include things like swastika ban, the SS rune ban, the stiffy arm salute ban, and the Jews are also drafting laws. They want to ban runes. We use runes as well, so they want to ban the Tia, the Odal, the Elges. They want to ban all rune, runic symbols, um, anything that was used in any way by the National Socialists or the SS. And... These laws have been in place for a long time, but they keep getting reinforced and strengthened and emboldened, and they keep changing them to be not more descript, but actually less descript. So Blair Cottrell got charged, along with two of his colleagues, Neil Erickson and Shortis, they got charged in 2015 under the 18C, which is the Racial Vilification Act, and they were charged with a very strange crime, and I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but it sounded something like this intent to cause serious ridicule against a protected group of people in brackets muslims and what they did was they made us they did a stunt where they filmed themselves beheading a dummy and saying allah akbar and they put it up on the internet and said are these really the kind of people you want to bring into this country now there was no complainant in the case the state prosecuted these guys on behalf of the Muslim community without an actual complaint from the Muslim community. So it's a thought crime because they, uh, even then the laws were strong enough that the state could say, we, we believe this was your intent. We believe this was the thoughts that went through your head when you committed this act and your intentions when you committed it. And we believe that this offended people that we haven't even spoken to and on the basis that we can predict how you think, why you've done it without asking you, um, and that you've offended people that we haven't asked either, uh, we're charging you. And they were only fined with that because it was a new iteration of the law, and I think they wanted legal precedence. So they didn't do jail time, but you can get up to six months for that crime. And I believe those laws, again, in the last couple of years have been strengthened and with the Jews really cracking down on the National Socialist and White Nationalist symbology, they have increased that. I think some of these offenses now carry one to two years, and more so if they're in conjunction with another offense, they can give you a very serious prison time. So, for example, if you bash someone in Australia, uh, you can get up to, say, five years in prison, but if you were wearing a mask when you did it, you can get up to 10 years. And if there might have been some racial reason why you did it. You could look at maybe eight years instead of five years. So when I did uh, the dance monkey incident, when I, when I bashed that security guard that attacked Jacob, I was looking at, I was looking at 12 or 18 months in prison, uh, but my lawyer said, be careful, you could be facing three or four years if they can pr prove racial vilification. So a crime is more severe if they can prove that you're a racist when you did it. Same here yeah, they, with our hate crimes. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we've gotcha. got you know hate crime enhancements for things here. That's um, you know a, a 
an increasingly common feature, sadly, in the United States. You know, they, they the Supreme Court will strike them down if they say, uh, you know, you if you ban the speech itself, but as an aggravating factor to some other crime, they, those laws have stood uh, those laws have stood the test. And extraordinarily rare for them to go the other way when it's black on white crime, even when they're they could literally shout, I'm gonna kill you, honky <laughs> white devil, <laughs> and it probably wouldn't count. Um, Tom, I was on a call or uh, I was talking with a relatively new guy to the cause recently, and he name dropped you two or three times as somebody who inspired him and provided him, you know, helped red pill him essentially. So I want to ask what you are most focused on in terms of projects you got the lads you got tribe and train you got demonstrations i know you were looking for property it's not directly relevant to our audience uh australia i think was unfortunately only number four it was uh canada then the uk and then australia in terms of our international listenership we'll hopefully do better now but what's your what are you working on most intensely what's your most important project please well i'm working on about 10 things unfortunately Uh, I would say the property is up there as one of the top priorities to secure a physical existence for our community. We've got a a huge baby boom at the moment. That's really one of the biggest things that's changed in our organization over the last uh, five years. Yeah, I wouldn't say that there's one thing that's my top priority. I would say that there's many projects I'm working on. The top three projects would be the... uh, the development of a rural property for us to keep our family safe on. The state is currently allowing the use of violence against our homes, against our property, against our families. And uh, I would suggest that this is a coordinated effort because we're not giving up, so they're just increasing their violence level, their threat level against us. And certainly being rural, remote and and tight-knit as a community, uh, definitely would help our physical security as a community. That's that's one of my top priorities. Another one is certainly the development of our rural active clubs. So we have focused very heavily the last five years on building up the, the cities. We have an active club and a community group in every major city in this country. And what we're really developing is the nodes that connect the cities. So we're building up active clubs all throughout the rural regions, and the interconnecting towns and areas between the major cities. So we're really connecting the nodes. We're lighting, we're lighting signal fires or warning fires all across the nation and connecting the rural people to the city people. And my third biggest priority is the development of, uh, I would say, instructional material and ideological material, training guides, training manuals, uh, not just for the movement here in Australia, but also for international active clubs. Uh, I have been working tirelessly over the last couple of years helping build active clubs all across America, all across Europe, um, helping with all different types, all different models. And uh, one of the things that is lacking is some, some uh, source material, some hard material uh, manuals for young leaders to be able to read that source material, understand the the pros and cons and and the flaws and all the different types of models that they can utilize and hybridize and just all the uh, fail-safes and SOPs that they need to know in order to to avoid the the pitfalls. Uh, Likewise, uh, we have uh, a lot of junior leaders here in Australia, a lot of group leaders that need mentoring, 
and that is the majority of my time spent. And so I just want to streamline these processes a lot better and be more effective as a as a strategic leader so that I'm not constantly being, I wouldn't use the term bogged down, but certainly constantly occupied with that one-on-one or, or three-on-one mentoring of, of our young leaders. Totally understand. And we might come back to one or more of those. Before we get too far, though, I wanted to ask... Um, <clears throat> A lot of our audience is probably in the class or the grouping of, I got a career, I got a wife and kids. Uh, Frankly, white nationalism in the United States has been a little bit of a sine wave from ramps to shit shows and collapses, drama, et cetera. Uh, And I assume you got plenty of those guys in Australia who have come your way, but are maybe a little bit Ca- overly cautious, not interested in taking on excessive risk. What do you do, what do you do when you get those good quality guys though who have a very high uh, risk aversion? Uh, you, uh, you you still you, you tell them to stop being a pussy and jump in, or do you handle them with kid gloves? That sort of <laughs> character. Well, what I'm one of the ten projects that I'm working on this year is to redevelop a community group that's a side project or sideshow to our current uh, active club community group and our activism network. There's a lot of guys in the wider community, uh, a lot of ex-members, former members, um, disgruntled people, not disgruntled people, people that have left because of the heat or the pressure. And there's so many, there's hundreds of guys uh, in the white nationalist community that are currently atomized and alienated uh, because they don't have the time, energy, or commitment level to follow through with the, the models that we're currently running. So I am trying to work out a way of utilizing these people, starting with basic social meetings, family meetings, um, that's completely separate to our current organization, and trying to utilize them perhaps in a more traditional political sense. Uh, and we're certainly looking at developing a, a bulwark against the, the major political parties, and working out how to mobilize the extended community that we have into a, a membership of a traditional organization, a traditional political-facing organization, um, and to put, up, put on some pressure at the ballot box. So not, not, not a priority of mine to try to win elections, but certainly tying in with our metapolitical goals of putting up one or two guys in the country uh, to focus on putting our message out there, creating legal protections, and uh, certainly bringing some interest back into politics for white people, trying to engage white people in politics at the capacity that they're currently interested in, which unfortunately is still spectator sport, um, but utilizing that energy as best as we can and then looking to transmute it and mobilize it in different ways uh, as time goes on. Amen, brother. That was actually going to be my next question, and this is going to be more catnip for Chris Cantwell, who, of course, has taken a lot of heat for his approach, which is, look, there's two parties in the United States. One, the Republicans, of course, is more or less far closer to our views with some people getting in, et cetera. And the problems you face in Australia are the same we face here as in the UK, Germany, et cetera. And it, the, the symptom, of course, is the invasion, the, the displacement, the slow rolling uh replacement genocide level immigration invasion, which of course is downstream from Jewish power. But to make Australia white again, in theory, you have to either wait for collapse or get into the system to work it. Um, 
so you your approach then would be to do something new outside and not go the route of trying to make the liberal party which is of course your in theory right-wing party uh accept you guys in or sneak somebody in uh but you got a different situation than we do there so it would be something new and you have more or less washed your hands of uh your parties as they exist today there yeah absolutely we would be looking at fracturing the right into a million pieces and then rebuilding it from our position so australian politics i would say is leaning as time goes on the hegemony of the big two, the hegemony of liberal labor, which is uh, Democrat and Republican in a kind of weird, wacky um, hybridization, the, the power of the duopoly is collapsing and more and more power is going to the extremes, more and more power is going to the, to the further left and further right parties. And we're becoming more and more European in our politics. And there's certainly room for us to maneuver and occupy space on the political spectrum and take votes away from the mainstream political parties and ideally smash them into a million pieces. That's that's our goal. Our goal is to destroy the center-right, the fake opposition. So in Australia, though, you have a you have a parliamentary proportional representation, is it? Yeah, we have two houses, so it's similar to the old, I guess it's, uh, it's always been around as a concept, the idea of you have a, a Senate and uh, you have uh, members of Parliament. So I think in the UK they have like a House of Lords. Our Senate is similar to that concept. So senators are elected as a percentage of a state's population. And then MPs are elected because they win the majority of an actual region vote. So they're, okay. they're the, So we're kind of divided into... I guess like an electoral college. So Victoria might have a certain amount of uh, MP seats. I think it might be 30 or 40 seats. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I know Melbourne would be like 10 or 12 seats and then big rural regions are divided into one seat each. And that's at a federal level. The, the biggest candidate from each seat gets the seat as an MP. But senators are different. They're actually elected as long as they get a certain percentage of the total population of the state. They get put forward, and I think there's 14 senators from each state, and they do seven every four years, uh, and then you stay on for between four and eight years. I'm pretty sure. But is it so? It, so members of parliament, it's a it's a winner take all election model. So how it then works in terms of who the prime minister is, is within the number of MPs. So I don't believe the Senate decides who the prime minister is or the ruling party, they more they can block legislation coming through and block laws coming through. So it's similar to how you guys have multiple houses. You have your, your, your Senate and your House of Representatives. We just call our House of Representatives MPs or uh, members of parliament, right. ministers of parliament. Um, and so the winner takes all is the sense that the, uh, the prime minister has to be from the party that gets the most amount of seats and that party generally has to work more and more so in a coalition with parties on their side of politics so the liberal party is in a coalition with a smaller party called the nationals which is basically its rural satellite there's no difference between the two parties it's just a rebranded version of itself and the Labour Party is in a coalition, more or less, with a group called the Greens, which is the Australian Communist Party rebranded 
as an environmentalist party. Right. But I mean, so like a member of parliament, he he wins his district up or down or there's a proportional representation for members of parliament. Uh, I don't understand the question fully, but the MP wins outright. So if he gets the majority vote, he wins. If he gets the biggest, if he's the biggest percentage of the vote in his region. So I'll give you an example Uh, in the seat of Kuyong, which is the inner city, inner east of Melbourne, where all the rich boomers live. Uh, the guy that wins the most amount of votes in Kuyong, which is about maybe 10 or 12 suburbs put together, uh, he he becomes the or he or she becomes the minister for Kuyong. Right. He's yeah, that's that's what I meant. Yeah. So that it's yeah, similar might, to might, yeah, their winner take all elections. Yeah. Yeah, but when you have yeah, because he doesn't need to get half of the vote. He just needs to get more votes than the other guys. And there's you know four or five people might be running because you still have a a, a functionally multi-party democracy, but in the yeah. in the in the MP elections, it's a it's a winner-take-all model. But you still have two major parties, essentially. You're saying, and they, um, but they can influence by you know by the by the mechanics of however they influence. Yes. Well, the mechanics are the most. I think someone dropped the word Pharisees before. They're the most sort of the mechanics of it is very Judaic, very Pharisee. The mechanics of our voting is it has a system called preferential voting. So the, the major parties can collect all the votes of the satellite parties. So there could be 10 parties on the right, which, well, there is 10 parties on the right. And all these little minor parties on the right, they have a preferential system where if they don't win the seat, their votes go towards the Liberal Party, which is actually our right-wing party, centre-right, instead of them going towards the Labour Party or disappearing into the ether. So the Greens right. will preference the Labour. So if the Greens don't win outright, their votes stack the Labour. If the minor parties like the Nationals or UAP or, or Lib- Libertarians or this or that or the other, whatever the centre-right parties are, if they don't win outright, which is very rare for them to win outright, I think there's a few seats that are occupied by... UAP, there's a few seats that are occupied by fishers and shooters and hunters party, you know, these kind of like little niche parties. There's a few areas where they have their strongholds in the rural countryside. Um, but in general, they might get 5 or 10% of the vote in the, in the city regions, and then they will put their votes towards the Liberal Party candidate. And then the Liberal Party candidate, therefore, overall gets more votes than the Labour Party candidate. So the Do you Liberal think, Party does rely on these on these parties giving them the satellite. Do you think um, Do you think that that helps or harms the these smaller parties? You know, there's a lot of debate about. We, I think what you're referring to is referred to here in the United States as ranked choice voting, and and it seems to be that the the left is always trying to institute this. Um, yeah. There's there seems to be an aversion to it on the right, and and I'm not sure you know what the the impact of that would necessarily be. Do you think that it helps or harms these smaller parties on the right? Or do you think that there's a difference between how it affects the left versus how it affects the right? I think it absolutely harms true democracy. I think it absolutely harms the minor parties on the right. There's two systems in Australia that make our democracy uh, far worse than your republic. And those two things are we have mandatory voting. And what Ooh. that results in, we have mandatory voting. You get, I got a fine last year because I didn't vote, or, or two years ago, sorry. 
I got a fine because I didn't vote. I got fined $80. Some, you know, arbitrary number, it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that they pressure you to vote. And if they're going to pressure you to vote, most people that are pressured are going to vote for the major parties. So if they remove mandatory voting, what you'll find is the Liberal and Labor Party won't get anywhere near as many votes as they actually do get every election. And the weighting will be more European. These minor parties will have a much larger percentage of the people who are politically conscious. Conscious. So the major parties, Labor and Liberal, are in a duopoly. They're in cahoots to ensure that there's mandatory voting. And that would be one of the biggest things we would tackle at a political level. If we got guys in Parliament, we would be putting bills forward to ban mandatory voting, to stop mandatory voting, because all it does is strengthen the major parties. Secondarily, the preference scheme certainly helps the, the monopoly stay in power. And it's this idea that um, they, the minor parties gain very little. When they win, well, they were probably going to win anyway. Um, and when they lose, well, they're going to lose most of the time. And so they're just a satellite for the big parties. Um, so they gain very little and they help the major parties extremely, like they help them a lot get that percent that they need to win against the other major party. Yeah, so the, the mandatory voting thing is really bad. I mean, you know, it's that is that is obviously designed to, you know, to basically have the low information voter control the country or or to hand control over to people who can manipulate them. You know, it's it, 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 the, the average person is not that informed about politics and they just go in. They're like, well, what did I see on TV this morning? You know, it's it's not a good way to run a country. Yeah. Mandatory voting exactly. in the United States. For this, the country would be entirely blue. And then you add in just the slightest restrictions for individual agency. And then it's a sea of red. Uh, Got to move on here a little bit, gentlemen, yeah. although that was uh, fascinating. Sincerely, maybe we'll visit, revisit it. Tom, whenever you need to get out of the car or park or reach your destination, just say yeah, the word. I'll, I'll and, park yep. now. I'll park now. If you can give me five minutes, I'll be back on in five on the computer. Good deal. We'll take we'll take five. Uh, we'll tell you what, let, five minutes to the hour keep going, anyway. Keep going. Yeah, keep going, yeah. and I'll just join in in five minutes. <clears throat> well, very good. Um, I got a slew more questions for Tom. Uh, we got five minutes to the hour, Chris. Um, so going back to you, has has your um, we we know you're a pro Trump guy, uh, more or less opportunistically or through your evaluations of the lever levers of power. I, of course, will just do a quick, we've been meaning to talk about U.S. domestic politics for a while on the show. Uh, I have gone from full-throated, enthusiastic Trump supporter 2016, 2020, I wrote in the Austrian corporal in 2024. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I just like, that was a little bit of a temper tantrum, although I don't really regret it because I was so disgusted by Trump. 2024, you know, even if he's a Zionist, shill philo semite and it doesn't even necessarily matter in west virginia of course because he's gonna uh, sweep it uh i'm i would if i were in a swing state i would vote for trump if for no other reason than the border and because he is object even though he failed in his first term he objectively did more and tried more and was more effective on stopping the flow even if he didn't build the wall and deport them all and my operating theory is that it is impossible for a man of his wealth and stature to be subjected to so much in just the past four years. I mean, they're literally trying to bankrupt him and or throw him in jail 
he can't possibly suck as much as he did the first term. Does that jive with you, or are you like sincerely Trump opportunistic, or is it all Machiavellian uh, calculations for you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that I like about Trump. You know, I, I, but most the most important thing about it is just defeating the other side, right? So, like, you know, it, somebody on Gab asked me, you know, how can you support Trump when he yada yada yada? And my answer sure. to him. I, I couldn't repeat the exact words on Full House, but it was, you know, I, uh, I I because I hold whining anti-Trump so-and-sos in the utmost seething contempt, and I like seeing them unhappy, right? Now, you know, this was somebody who was attacking Trump from the right that I'd said it to, and, you know, humorously, he came around, and he was like, yeah, that's why I support him, too. And I was like, you were just attacking me for supporting Trump. What are you talking? I was aiming that at you. But, you know, so, you know, first things first, if all Trump did was make Democrats unhappy, that would make him the superior candidate of the available options to us in American politics. Right. If if everything he did policy wise was going to destroy the country and all he did was make the Demo make the Democrats upset, that would still make him a superior alternative to Nikki Haley and and Joe Biden. And your vote is going to mean precisely nothing voting for anybody but those candidates. Right. So. You know, it's it's not it's not a difficult decision. Who is the uh, among our choices? Who is the best choice? That's like just to me obvious. The question is, how much energy do you want to vote devote to it at the end of the day? Right. Yeah. You, you know, want to throw money, like, you want to throw money and campaign yeah. and knock on doors like 2016, or you just want to show up. It takes half an hour tops usually. Yeah. And you could be you could be absolutely certain I'm going to do none of those things, right? Like I'm not right. going right. to I'm not going to go show up at the Trump campaign office and be like, hey, put me to work, boys, because first of all, they'll kick me out. Right? <laughs> you know? sure. And second, I don't have the time to do it, and I certainly am not going to give the guy any of my money. I don't have it. You know, I don't have much you know and so i, I think you know, i think the right. thing that's good about trump is the what i like about trump is i like what his followers think he is even though he's not that thing and i think that that is what the left and our enemies are afraid of they're not so much yes. afraid of trump they're afraid of us and they are afraid of even though his followers may not be as informed as we would like uh for them to be they do represent some real numbers of people who think he's this thing that he isn't, but you know what I mean? He's, he's an opportunist and he, there's even a quote out there from him before he ran the first time where he said, you know, if, if I was thumping the Bible and if I was talking against immigration, I said the right wing things, I could get elected president. And sure enough, he did. Yep. And I think and one of the things, Sam, that I, you hear all the time is that, no, 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 you, you want Biden and you want like 40 million illegals coming in to wreck yeah. the thing or to fully radicalize everybody. And I'm like, I don't really I don't see like the MAGA crowd just going back to sleep and saying like, oh, we won the election. It's all over. Uh, mm. What? Because they'll still get totally attacked. He was president when January 6th, the most radical domestic political event since the civil war probably occurred or maybe, you know, there was some pretty yeah. cool mine wars in West Virginia. I don't buy that. And it's, uh, you know, it really tests your, 
commitment to accelerationism and, you know, crash the plane with no survivors. Like, do you, do you really <laughs> want, you know, four more years of like an even more Jewish administration? Do you really right. want X million more illegals? Yeah. He, we, we know that he's a Jew lover and I know that some of the audience will get pissed off at this and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get it. Like, you know, if you want to stay home, you want to stay home. I would say if you live in a, if you want to stay home, you want to write in again, you know, I get it. But if you live in a swing state, it costs you nothing. And, yeah. and I know well, the whole lesser of two evils thing too, but it's like, there's like really evil. And then this guy who like says good things and like really sucked the first time around, but has his ass up against the line right. and might even pardon the January sixer or all of them. If he pardons one or two, that's, you know, go ahead. <laughs> well, and we're not hanging our hats on Trump. Like, yeah, that's, uh, well, that's what we uh, need is Trump uh, as president. Right? Uh, yeah. No, we're just, there's this thing coming up, this election, say, say whatever you want about it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're commenting on, on the election and the major candidates. And, uh, that's the, the most significant dynamic that I would identify is that the, the, powers that be are afraid of what Trump Trump represents regardless that he's pro gay and and uh, everything else you know uh that his followers think he's something yeah I, that's exactly what Sam said it best it's it's not what Trump does necessarily policy wise it's what his followers want right when you when when they are demanding things of the government that are that are further to the right than the government is prepared to give them right that that is a change in our politics and i think that that is you know you try to think about what what were people demanding from john mccain and mitt romney right, right. like they didn't even, they yeah. didn't even want like it's like oh can you Economy. maybe like yeah. you know, they wanted like, binders uh, full of women you know mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, can you go, can you go finish off the Muslims and, you know, like, can, and can you cut my taxes 2% or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is literally yeah. the milk toast nonsense that these guys, they inspired in the population. Yeah. And so like, which, the, which Overton, the, over, yeah. the Overton window has shifted and that's, that's the good of it. If you want to say is is trump has made certain conversations in this country possible that were not possible before and there a suggestion go. a suggestion for the audience i recommend if you can if there's one near you go to a trump rally if for no other reason than to observe the spectacle and report back number two of course is networking and i guarantee you some of our guys will be there or budding our guys and number three if he does happen to issue the stuff that drives you up the wall israel greatest ally or maybe a little milk toast on the gay question boo loudly and i guarantee there's going to be other people in the audience who might also be interested in that imagine that trump getting real live feedback from his adoring crowds yeah. on the few stinkers in his mm -hmm. agenda might make a difference you never know we are at the hour rollo thank you for being circumspect about uh your excellent timekeeping because we were dinging on the uh on the recording um we I, are gonna I, 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 go will, ahead, uh, yeah. i'm sorry for the ding on the recording i just fixed that oh. by the way <laughs> oh was that you you son of a bitch you're, you're not you're not invited back for the second half no <laughs> stick <laughs> stick with us chris because tom is coming back he was kind enough i i joked with the guys that it was like having uh you know we're, we were doing the rush limbaugh show here and we got a really good caller 
<laughs> on the air calling from the road. Uh, <laughs> Tom was kind enough to do it, and the audio wasn't bad either. But we will be right back, and I kind of had to go to my – I gave Tom the option to pick a song. So I picked a song that I thought that he and the lads might like. It's a li- little harder electronica like he's chosen before. This is called Ego, which is not a reference to his or our egos, but it's by The Organism. I think you'll enjoy it. And we will be right back with Cantwell, Sam, Rolo, myself, and some guy named Tom Sewell. Don't go anywhere.
welcome back to Full House, episode 180, special edition, double heavy hitter or quintuple heavy hitter, however you prefer. Tom is back with us. Chris is back with us. We're going to try to jam as much as we can into a short period of time as possible. Uh, my, I have to share on air, my hamstring woes was because I was driving the kids to the bus stop this morning and what was in front of me, but a fallen tree completely blocking the road. It wasn't big, but it wasn't small. So my first thought was to move it out of the way manually, even while hobbling and really had to get the back into it, try to put all my weight on my good knee and then oh, got the hamstring shoot uh, laser strike right up. So then I said, all right, plan B, I'm not moving this thing. The kids were not exactly much help. So I went back to the shed to get my electric chainsaw and the battery was dead in that. I didn't really have time to mess with the gas. Didn't want to do that. So what did I do? I drove over the tree with the minivan. Didn't rip out the guts or anything like that. So, you know, improvising. Keep your, if you have, if you have those batteries, keep them charged. Moving on. New white life. I only got one. Sam's got a couple. Exoqua. Not sure what that may be. French Canadian. Maybe he's a fan of La Croix sparkling waters. Uh, set the positive result. Uh, he showed the picture of the positive result and says he's nervous and excited. So I told him, ah, you're going to be fine. You know, don't get cockies. It's okay, coach. I got, uh, other kids too. So he's still nervous and excited even with, uh, number two or number three coming on the way, whatever it is. Uh, Sam over to you. What do you got in the hopper? Yeah. A couple of guys, uh, finally opened up and let us, uh, know that, uh, uh, Two more children are on the way. One guy will be his second, very young family, wonderful people. And the other guy will be number five. So uh, both both great guys, both guys uh, well-known. So good for them. Amen. Thank you, Sam. As we said last show, there's all sorts of ways you can contribute to the cause, activism, propaganda, money, uh, sharing your expertise, adding to our ranks. If it's not number one, it's near number yeah. one. Uh, Absolutely. Tom, Tom, you got any new white lifes you want to share on air or keep them under your hat? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. We've had more babies than ever every year, more babies. So this year I might be wrong, but I think we've already had four babies just this year in our org. So that was Hell the Queensland yeah. leader. I believe the Queensland 2IC. Uh, the New South Wales leader had one at uh, last year. We had one last year. Uh, Tim just had a baby as well, Tim's partner, uh, Tim's wife. So that, that's one in Victoria. We've got three more on the way in Victoria. Mm. We've got one on the way or two on the way in Tasmania, I think. And uh, we've got more more on the way in uh, all across the country. So I think there's four or five on the way. Um, and we've already had, I think, at least four or five. So And then uh, and my sister-in-law just had a, a baby as well. She's not in the organization, obviously, but she just had one. So. Lots of babies. It's baby season. Yeah. Amen. Wonderful, Tom. Thanks. Very is, good. Is Tim, is, is Tim the one whose house was firebombed with his wife and Correct. kid at home? Have they, yeah, I think she's done, have they, have they lifted a, Jesus, sorry. Have they lifted a finger to uh, find the perps or any idea yet? No, nah, absolutely. Absolutely not. No, the counterterrorism are not interested in terrorism against us. Uh, they are only interested in stopping us from uh, peacefully and uh, lawfully uh, putting forward our political views. They're not interested in actual terrorism. They are the terror police themselves. If anything, they probably helped Antifa uh, commit these crimes. So that's yeah. that's the insider. 
you mentioned a guy got his, his house firebombed. Is this the headline that I saw that some publication was like, this Nazi's mad that his house got burned down or something like that? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, the publication was neo-Nazi leader runs to police. Like they were calling him a coward. They were saying he's like, yeah. he's a coward for running to police when that's actually not what happened. So the short version is around midnight or 1 a.m., uh, a group of Antifa threw three Molotov cocktails, one at each car and one at the house, one at the bedroom where him and his pregnant wife were. And he's, he's obviously got two kids on top of that. Um, and the Molotov that hit the house rolled off and exploded on the front lawn. The Molotov that hit one of the cars bounced off and exploded on the nature strip. And then the other Molotov actually did penetrate the vehicle and, um, and uh, like it blew up the vehicle. So uh, he lost one of his cars. The house and kids were safe. The fence burnt down in the process. And obviously the neighbors called the police and fire brigade. He went out, put out the fire. They'd already driven off on a, in a, in a certain particular vehicle that I won't mention on stream. Um, we've got our information as to who these people are. Uh, we don't know the exact person, but we know very roughly who these people are. And obviously we're, we're, we're doing things to be able to deal with this problem because the police aren't. And uh, these are the same people that have cut down, I think, three Captain Cook statues in the last six months. So they're doing public vandalism as well. They're, they're trying to tear down our statues. It's the same group of people. And the police have done nothing to arrest these people. All of our charges have been pre-crime. They've been all pre-crime. All of our incidences, uh, almost all of our incidences, I should say, are pre-crime. So the police are there waiting for us. The police are trying to create, you know, they've got a, an agent provocateur or all these incidences we've been in almost all of them. There's a pre-crime element to it, uh, whereas uh, when it comes to actual terrorism, the police are nowhere to be seen. Uh, when the police did rock up, they actually left the Molotov cocktails on the front lawn and the nature strip. They like the, the one of them was unexploded, so they left evidence on the scene. Um, they didn't take fingerprints. They didn't take DNA. Uh, in this incident that I'm going to the Supreme Court for, where a Jewish person got their heel, their feelings hurt and they urinated themselves out of fear and, <laughs> and intimidation from my existence, uh, they the police. This is one of the reasons why we wanted to go to trial. The police, like, uh, they've still got my car. It's been three years. They've got my car. They've got Jacob's car. And they found my own DNA in my own car. And they can prove that it is my <laughs> DNA in my own car. And uh, there's, a, there's, only a one in a, there's only a one in a billion chance that the DNA that they found in my car is not my DNA. And uh, so they're going to those kind of lengths uh, where they're DNA testing my car to find my own DNA, um, but they won't. They won't even take prints off a bomb out the front of a family man's house. Amazing. So it's absolutely disgusting. It's an anarcho tyranny. It's anarcho tyranny. Yeah. It's anarchy when the leftists firebomb you, and it's tyranny when you make a Jew piss himself. And that you is know, a I, I for our audience too. That's some next. I mean, you know. Molotov cocktails at your home with your pregnant wife at home is next level. A lot of guys uh, get a little nervous if some flyers go up in their neighborhood or, you know, an article's written about you online. Put it in perspective, not to test fate. That is, you know, of course, coming. I, I just I'll insert. I understand what's being conveyed with the anarcho tyranny line. I don't use that term myself because 
it, there's nothing anarchic about this. This is state-sponsored terrorism, right? When you're granted a license to run around committing crimes, you're acting, you know, you're acting as an intelligence agency fundamentally, right? I mean, th- that's what they're doing. They're being given a, a full-on license to commit crimes. There's nothing anarchic about it. It's, you know, it's, it's like the border policy in the United States. It's not that the United States is not enforcing border policy. It's that the, the policy is to facilitate the invasion, right? It's, it's, it's a government action when they do that, you know? Well, and that's why I does. always, and that's why I push back against calling Antifa anarchists because they're perfectly fine with a big government that that's pro trannies and and porno and and dildos and drugs and all that other stuff. Everything they do is a lie, anarchists. especially the anarchist bit right now. You know, yeah. and that's not to say anything good about anarchism. It's just that's not what they are, right? I mean, they are they are agents of the system and and they call themselves anarchists as a form of cover right they're like no we're, we're we don't like the government you are the government what are you talking about we may well, talk too about many- charred corpse who was alternately antifa communist uh tranny you know aspiring tranny gay retard um take your pick well uh, when well and, and then when re- well, when retards call them anarchists, it, it's it, it's dishonest. It's like you well, know they that they're them. not anarchists, right? They call themselves. I mean, yeah, yeah. they call them. They also probably call. Well, they call themselves like counterculture too, even though they have the exact like literally Antifa. What are your political beliefs? Uh, Apple terms of service. Yep. Uh, real, real, real quick, gents. I, I got two gems here. I want to read uh, real quick for the benefit of the audience and, of course, our correspondents. And uh, this one goes, "Hey, Coach. I don't know if I ever told you, but you and your show has been a huge and motivating factor in my life. I think it helped me get on the right track, away from drugs and partying, and ready for a family-oriented lifestyle. My daughter is my whole world, and my wife and I are happier and healthier than we ever were before having her. Mostly keep." this under our hat but number two is on the way hail the full house crew uh i this is a good friend of mine i will keep his name at sock everything uh under wraps but thank you buddy means a lot to me uh wonderful guy couldn't be happier for you and we had one more from john anon and he said i don't want to advertise this in an open forum but I am now a father-to-be. We're at the 28-week mark, and it's been an exciting ordeal. The first trimester was scary, but after the scares and struggles, I've already grown so much from this. In a few short months, a new Ozarkian will be born. Thanks for having the show. It's been a great influence for me and an inspiration. I did not write those. I never write these. I swear they're all 100% (laughs) legitimate. Um, I do, Tom, I do have to ask you about makeup and uh, Down syndrome babies eventually. You know, (laughs) you've stoked the fires a little bit. We'll get to that later. But I had a serious question for you, sort of in keeping with the self-immolated pro-Palestinian guy to be extremely um, charitable. You hear, I, I've, I, this is kind of a minority opinion, but you see it a lot. If only we had reached him, or it's our failure, or rather than calling them gay retards or stupid communists, you know, maybe we should be more charitable to them. And I, I'm all for like diplomacy and being charitable and open to everybody, but that that strikes me as a waste of time, idiocy, and some people can't be saved. The flip side of that is that our natural constituency, from what I've seen and I've polled our guys, is conservatives and libertarians to a slightly lesser extent. Not too many libertarians. Question being, 
do you focus your propaganda, your outreach on a, you know, a demographic, et cetera? Have you had any ex Antifa come your way or do you have to fish where the fish are biting uh, in terms of your outreach efforts? Mm, quite a controversial subject. I would say we're living in a very different time to Hitler's time. I understand that Adolf Hitler believed that some of the most effective propagandists that they recruited or some of the most effective SA were people that had that revolutionary spirit and they often came from the other extreme of politics and that they weren't people that had leapfrogged or uh, sort of been, you know, gone through the pipeline. They weren't people necessarily gone through the pipeline. They're more people, maybe a way of describing it, although I haven't heard this described from, from Hitler, but maybe a modern day word would be horseshoe. They've more gone through the horseshoe than the pipeline. Uh, now, that might have been true in Hitler's day because there was a relatively homogenous, uh, healthy society that was demoralized from the war, confused, and everything happened very quickly, very, very quickly. We're looking at 10 years of decay. Uh, we're looking at, you know, the demoralization from a war effort and the confusion of a couple years or maybe up to a decade. What we're living in, I think, is very different. Uh, we've we've lived through 70, 80 years of decay, and uh, it hasn't been it ha it's been quick if we're looking at civilization as a whole, but it hasn't been quick in terms of people's lifetimes. We can see where it's come from, and we can see where it's going. So I would say, in theory, no, I don't believe we're going to recruit good people from the left like Hitler might have seen. And in practice, I have had to remove. Anyone that we have joined that has been a, an ex-communist or an ex-antifa, almost all of them, I would say nine out of ten, on a long enough timeline, we've had to remove them because they have antisocial personalities. They have personalities that are not congruent with our worldview, not congruent. Even if they understand the ideology, their natural personality is more inclined towards the the other side. And they're not, uh, they don't have the character of a national socialist. They might have the ideology but not the character. Um, there are some exceptions to that, certainly, uh, but nine times out of 10. So uh, does that answer the question? You're muted. Coach, you're on mute. Oh, sorry. Uh, it jives with my common sense intuition as well as experience. You've got limited time. Uh, not to mention it's a security risk too. Like somebody could say, yeah, I yeah. used to be that and I'm not. And that maybe explains why I'm not there all the way. And then there's also, of course, a difference between a white principled liberal, somebody here who voted for Obama or maybe was a Bernie bro versus somebody who, uh, you know, is on a tranny forum or, you know, says white people don't. Yeah. The, the, the extremes are so far apart now. Whereas I can understand in Hitler's time, you had German workers who were demoralized from the war that were presented with a Marxist doctrine about, well, we're going to give, I mean, I think about how Lenin and Trotsky conned the Russian people and they offered them work, land and bread. And I think if you were relatively illiterate, if you were relatively in servitude of some, you know, big industrial complex, if you were you know, the byproduct of the Industrial Revolution and you were not on the good end of it um, and you were promised by a group of people work, land, um, work. So, yeah, I think it was work, work, bread and land uh, yeah, uh, and you peace, were starving. Peace, peace, land and bread, I think. Yep. Is that it? it? Peace, peace. peace, land and bread, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think they might have changed it when they won the war. But, yeah, no. uh, the sorry, when they lost the war after the First World War. But I think that was the yeah. motto during the First World War. Yes, peace, land and bread. 
and then I think it became work land and bread because it was so much unemployed. Um, but yeah, I can understand how people could be fooled or conned by that, but there's nothing to be fooled or conned by anymore. Right. I mean, right. politics, politics is so extreme now that yeah, there, 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 I don't think there's much of an excuse. And I really like those graphs that people, I, I, I know I have strong opinions about graphs. We've seen all the graphs. We don't need any more graphs, <laughs> but if there was a graph, if there was a graph that I, I would share with my normal friends, like the work colleagues and stuff. It's the graph that shows in-group and out-group morality and shows how the libtard or leftist ideology is about prioritizing the furthest thing from them and they they have no affinity with the things closest to them. And then our yeah. ideology is affinity to our own genes, our own family, our own culture, yeah. everything that's close to us. And then we're less and less loyal to concepts the further they get away from who we are and what we are and what our goals and objectives right. are. So the, when you see those graphs, and, and I think they are accurate graphs, you can quite clearly uh, find that these people are severely mentally ill. They're habitual traitors and they cannot help themselves. They are what they are. They're the genetic waste of our society. And if they burn themselves alive because of their mental illness, uh, there's, I don't think there's anything we can do to help them. I have a very strong stance on this. I'll keep it kind of, you know, medium, you know, for the audience. Uh, but if I was on my own stream without, uh, you know, the fathers and, and sons watching, uh, I would be saying some things about this individual. That well, was just the, the, so well put. I, I'm putting that that rant about them on my I, – I shouldn't call it a rant. That was very well put about why the left is not, you know – Fertile recruiting ground. That's going on my soundboard, sir. <laughs> yep. Well, and then this whole idea of like, like principle, the leftists, like the, those, those quote unquote principle leftists, they're still prioritizing pornography. They're still prioritizing Star Wars. Drugs. They're still, yeah. they're still prioritizing <laughs> drugs. They like, okay. Oh, they want better wages. Okay. Yeah. They want better wages so they can buy more drugs. Like, they, like these aren't <laughs> people to, yeah, to recruit from. Like this is this is the most like, like you have to be fundamentally retarded to think that drawing from the left because at one time may, maybe some people that supported Bernie are here with us now like that it's like yeah. you 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 look at like four people compared to the rest of them like all of Antifa well, is pro Bernie they're all of them are yeah. all of them. Once upon a time, uh, let's say in those uh, the era when the German National Socialists or before that time, the working class was discovering that, well, first of all, that they were a class which emerged from the industrial era, but then they also discovered that they had power with the labor unions and things like that. So, so socialism in that context made sense and probably all of us here would be uh, socialists in that kind of a context but now the left is is not about the working class at all you know the, they they don't cater to the union worker and stuff like that in this country the way they once did like in the 70s and 80s maybe now the the white working class supports trump yeah after becoming pro white that was the my really only ideological change uh was getting more 
liberal or leftist or more social on economics and inequality and stuff because it's it, the Republican line about ah, you know free market capitalism. It, it's it's garbage. We know how it right. works now, and we have ample evidence of it. I have to do well, this. I but, it, oh, but, go ahead, but just yeah. just the la last point on that is we've seen the memos that show that the these you know these pro labor union companies they want to bring in brown people because yeah. they don't want to form unions they like we mm -hmm. know that the the union parties are not pro union they're not pro workers they're pro your replacement and right. to think that you can recruit from people that will go out and hold up the refugees welcome signs like you like like there i know where there's some good bridges and they're really high up and you know just uh fill in the blanks <laughs> the left the left is the ultra rich and the non-white scumbag poor that's the left now essentially yep coalition of the fringes yes yeah, yes middle american radicals getting squeezed in between um we have i have to do this we have a, a special bit it's for tom or in honor of tom but he can't answer and it's called who said it and it's either going to be soul or sewell <laughs> so I've got some quote there. <laughs> right. Credit, credit to our pal TK. I think he was the one who came up with the idea. So you guys, Tom, don't you dare! I don't know. Maybe he's like, I don't know. I don't remember saying that, but we'll see. <laughs> so who said it? Soul or Sewell? Uh, in a healthy society, the working class aren't responsible for the direction of society nor the advancement of culture. Mm. Anybody want to take a stab? This was, I started with a tough oh, one. Oh, uh, I thought you, and, and, I, I thought you were asking Tom. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Tom oh. can't answer. Cause he, no, he has, he has <laughs> in a healthy yeah. society, the working class aren't responsible for the direction of society, nor black the advantage one. of the culture. The black one said it wrong. That was Tom's tool. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought know, you were right? trying to, I thought you were trying to trick me. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, next one. Most niggers were big mad. Soul or Sewell? <laughs> the white <Bad> one. one. <laughs> I don't think Thomas Sewell. That was a, that was a gag one. All right. Uh, let's see. <laughs> um, here, here's, a, here's a tough one. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. Soul or Sewell? Mm. Chris, Chris, did you ever read any soul? I, I, I have, um, uh, I have no, his book I've not, on the shelf, but I never read it. Pick yeah. up one of his books. I, I think, uh, did, did I, I think I listened to one of his audio books in jail. Uh, I think and you was, interviewed, didn't you interview him in your early podcast days? You're yeah. thinking of Walter E. Williams is who uh, I interviewed. He, oh, he was yeah. right before yeah. I rebranded the some garbage right. podcast to radical agenda. Uh, um, yeah, but every time, you know, people always get the two smart black guys in America mixed up. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess, wait, say that one more time. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. I, I'm going to, I'm, it's a coin toss in my head. I'm going to go ahead and say it's the, the Thomas soul. <laughs> that was Thomas soul, but that could have been Sewell. Some of these you're like, yeah, mm, I could see yeah, it. Black could go either way. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, yep. that's the bit. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the guys did the the work. They collected the, the quotes. They're like, it's really easy to get soul quotes. Tom takes a little bit. Tom. Sewell I, I'm thinking, thing I'm there. thinking that if it was a, if it was a quote from our guest that it would, it would have to be more controversial than that is almost <laughs> is the thinking. 
not necessarily not necessarily that not that first that first one i felt like that really could have easily gone either way as opposed to the second Mm -hmm. one i i can't see uh the black some some of them were tricky I'm sitting there like you have me on the show and you're just going to have me sit here uh, subjected to your little bit coach. Well, I got to go real quick. Uh, Let's see. Evil does not cast judgment over good. Darkness does not cast judgment over light. Soul Mm. or Sewell? Sewell. White one. Correct. Bing, bing, bing. Good job, guys. Uh, This little faggot has never been involved in our org, never contacted our org, never assisted our org in any way. Oh, come on. That was soul. That was soul. Everyone knows that. That, That's in in basic economics. That's the forward. I think I'll, I'll stop there with the. It's not a gag, but the point point being, not just the Thomas Sowell. Yeah, he was good. One of Thomas Sowell's good ones is that the only, and this made me think of our Tom, is that the only way to tell the truth is either anonymously or posthumously, which was him Ooh, that's good. giving giving that a nod. A and and you know he was writing way before these times, and I know our Tom would probably say, uh, you know. F that, you know, say it while you're alive. Don't say it under a pseudonym or uh, after you're, yeah, after you're dead. I got a question for Tom in that vein. You know, I, I know that um, at least stateside, I don't know how much, uh, how prevalent it would be in Australia. Are you, are you confused with Thomas Sowell from time to time when, when you are uh, verbally introduced and have you ever tried to take advantage of that confusion? <laughs> uh, I have. Never been confused in Australia. It's mostly an American thing. And the only time it's ever come up is I did an interview once and I talked about how when I was young, I Googled my own name for the first time and it said, are you sure you don't mean Thomas Sowell? And I thought, who is this African? What is going on here? And that's the first time I discovered his teachings and and the things he had said. And I thought to myself at the time, as a young person, I got to work harder. When I Google my name, it should come up with me. And now it does come up with me. And the police actually mentioned that in court and said that Thomas Sewell has delusions of grandeur and sees his life mission as being to be more popular and more Googleable than Thomas Sowell. <laughs> and obviously, the, and the counterterrorism must watch all my streams because I don't even remember what stream I said that on. But I, I, I've said that at some point, and they brought that up in court when they were character assassinating me. And I think the judge just said something like, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think Thomas Sewell is on trial for his political views. Yeah. There is, a, there they were is like, a of strange... course he is, judge. What, what's the whole point yeah. of this? <laughs> And that's where that quote came out as well, where the police said that Mr. Sewell describes himself as a political soldier for Adolf Hitler or a political soldier <laughs> for the white race and Adolf Hitler is his leader. <laughs> Sounds good to okay. me. So they were just, it, yeah. We got to have an event in the United States with, with, with Tom Cobb and we'll just, you know, allow people to think it's Thomas Sewell and, and <laughs> <laughs> really see let, what happens, really let you know? it rip. Yeah. No, it, 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 it is kind of thrilling to realize that on this show and Chris's show and to- anything that Tom goes on that not, not just the state, but the, uh, the enemy expend so much time listening to our stuff. When you see the doxes and the, the cork boards that you imagine them having on the wall, um, <laughs> 
it does tell you something, the amount of time and effort that they put into just listening to us and analyzing us and reaching for one thing uh, to grab at. I don't want to do cheap uh, current events with you, Tom, while we have you for however many more minutes this hour. So I don't know whether I want to go to the guy who burned himself to death, the dancing college girls from Louisiana, or the abortion question or the makeup question that you waited into. Now let's, Twitter. let's do it all. So the one that I'm most passionate about, and I have the strongest opinions on, is the guy who burnt himself to death, who was, by all regards, a far-left, radical, Antifa, possibly, you know, dabbling with trannyism, who burned himself himself to death for the Palestinians. Free Palestine, free Palestine, one of the, I won't go into the cruel memes, but I saw some of our guys, minority but not insignificant, uh, semi-honoring him, lionizing him, saying he's done more to fight the Zionist menace than you ever have, podcaster. And I just wanted to say, no, he did Would you do that? Would you recommend your kids do that? Would you <laughs> recommend one of our guys do that? What, like, uh, like I can do the cynical thing where a guy, where an enemy of ours, a racial enemy of the white race, even though he's under the roof in theory, burns himself to death to bring bad press to Israel, but I'll stop there. Uh, your reaction to the air force sergeant who burned himself to death. Yeah. What I'll say, first of all, on all three subjects. So we've got the anti-Zionist, uh, anti-Zionist leftoid burning himself alive. We've got the abortion question or, or specifically the down syndrome question. And we've got the, uh, I think the video you're talking about is the teenage girls dancing with the lead cups in the African. There's that. Um, and the African style also, dancing. Yeah, that and that goes in tandem with uh, there will be no makeup in the eth- in the ethno. Yeah, just so, <laughs> so basically what we've got is three questions. We've got the anti-Zionist horseshoe. We've got the um, anti-makeup and we've got the anti-Down uh, syndrome or, or abortion. So we've got three big topics. What? I have incongruence with all three topics across the board. What you'll hear from me, no matter what the subject is, is cruelty. You'll hear cruelty from me. I am cruel. And uh, a lot of people don't like me because of that reason. I I cop a lot of flack on um, Twitter, especially because I'm cruel. And I say some things that hurt the, uh, I guess, the kindness of people and the altruism of people. And... I I am cruel, unfortunately. I am what I am. I didn't decide to be cruel. I'm cruel because I guess the universe has been cruel to me. And I uh, treat, uh, you know, I kind of react in a way that uh, the way that I'm a product of this, you know, the universe is cruel. Um, Life is cruel. Life is harsh. And we're in a race war where there's 1.4 billion Indians trying to conquer my country. There's 1.4 billion Chinese trying to conquer my country. The Jews have infiltrated every system of power they can, and they're destroying my people. And so I'm, I'm just cruel. I'm just like, we have to win. And uh, I'll win uh, even if we lose a- an element of our white altruism. I think our altruism needs to be modified. And even if we have to take the white public kicking and screaming um, towards uh, you know, a, a white <clears throat> utopia, um, that's what you have to do, unfortunately, to people in a golden cage. That's what you have to do to people that have addiction. Um, you have to be cruel. And I think there's a cruelness to traditional masculinity. Um, and uh, if I address specifically the first one, I, I can go through all three. If I address the first one, 
I noticed, I think Mick Fuentes was defending him a little bit. There's a few other podcasters that were defending and, and kind of, I think the word is, is it lionizing? Is that the correct word? Yeah, giving him a, yeah. a lot of uh, honorable credit, more or less. Yeah. yeah. So what these people have that I, what these people have that's different to me, like Nick Fuentes and a lot of these other podcasters, I noticed Asher Logos made some sort of middle ground comments as well. And I, I have a lot of respect for the guy and I've had good interactions with him and, and have a lot of respect for the work he does. But what a lot of these content makers and YouTubers and um, podcasters what they have different to me, and this is not an attack on you guys whatsoever, but especially like people like Nick Fuentes, is they don't have much real-world experience with the movement. They have a lot of internet experience with the movement. They they haven't been to jail. They haven't been firebombed. They haven't been attacked. They haven't lost the way that I've lost. And uh, when you you are confronted by this leftist ideology that hates white people, it absolutely hates white people. This guy, I went through his tweets, I went through his reddits, whatever it was, and he hates white people. He wants white people to die. He wants white people to be conquered by brown people. He is a disgusting, evil traitor, and he's obviously severely mentally ill, and that is sad. I can have empathy. I understand that that is sad as a concept, but what I also believe is we can't save everyone. I don't think we can save everyone in this. There's unfortunately a lot of fat and meat for the grinder and we're in a spiritual and racial anarchy in, in the way that our race there's hundreds of millions of white people but without but because we've been so debased we've been so removed from our roots and from our spirit both top down and bottom up we're so removed we're floating in the middle and in that process, there's so many people that are lost. And that's very, very sad. And we want to save as many people as we can. But we can really only save those that are already leaning into it. Hitler says, German people, save yourselves. Save yourselves. And this guy could not be saved. This is beyond, this person is beyond redemption. And he has died at the altar of anti-Zionism um, because he hates, uh, for the wrong reasons. It's So when, this is my final point on this subject. There is a horseshoe theory, of course. There are times where we align with the far left, but for opposite reasons, mm -hmm. for opposite reasons. So they're anti-Zionist and we're anti-Zionist, but they're anti-Zionist because they're anti-white, they're anti-colonialism, they're anti the system of power, and they think, well, it's obviously the Jews are the system of power, but they believe that uh, in the case of Israel and Palestine, it's a simple uh, gay, brown, Bolshevik ideology where they believe brown people equals good and fairer skinned people equals bad. And that's yep. why they're against Israel. We're obviously, I'm preaching the choir, but the audience obviously needs to be clarified that we are also anti-Zionists for the opposite reasons. We're anti-Zionists because the Jews have subverted our society. They're the primary culprit for the destruction of the white race, culturally, racially, socially, legally, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we're, we're, we've come to the same conclusion for two opposite reasons, and that is important. The means are just as important as the ends. Um, and so, yeah, I, I will take the charge that I'm cruel. I will take the charge that I'm not altruistic or as altruistic as maybe people think I should be. I will take that charge uh, because I'm a submarine commander. We're in a war. We've got a limited amount of time, and I don't have – I can empathize and sympathize with people, but I'm certainly not going to change my course and my thoughts um, as to how to win based off that, uh, th these unfortunate situations that continue to occur. Strong copy. Well, but, you know, I, I, I have seen 
when I see people in our thing, like jumping on board with what I, I call them noble savage narratives, right? They're like, oh, mm. the Palestinians are the are the good guys. And like, you know, I you know, they uh, they have legitimate reasons to have problems with, you know, the state of Israel, obviously. Um, but it's like <laughs> you wouldn't want these people moving into your neighborhoods like these people are not your friends, you know. Yeah. And uh, the idea that, um, you know, to to put them up on a pedestal is like, you know, I'm, I'm happy for these people to kill each other. Like, let them do that. Um, and it, when people are like, let's go, you know, team up with these people. I'm like, have you, <laughs> do you know who you're talking about spending time with? I saw the libertarians do this, you know, libertarians thought that they could make, you know, inroads with the left on various things. And what they ended up doing was turning the libertarian movement into drug induced homosexual anti-capitalism. Like it was just complete <laughs> nonsense, you know? And <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to see us do that in the slightest, you know? Yeah, I am a, I'm a little bit more of a softy on the Palestinian question, Chris, only in the sense of justice, uh, common enemy, et cetera. And they have legitimate axes to grind. Uh, I almost want to well, ask whether <coughs> whether there's an argument for Zionism only insofar as it becomes the place where uh, they all go uh, and then they can deal with their own neighborhood issues without American support. Obviously, they have nukes, but that's probably a uh, can well, of arms too big. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. It's, it's curious, you know, that as they say, politics make strange bedfellows. And when you think of these Muslim Palestinians or even the Christian ones there, these would be among the, you know, most conservative people. Uh, they, they would have in no way would their values align with the the antifa left right <laughs> and then and then you have the the new left or the radical left compared to like the old time liberals like boomer liberals no none none of these three things could possibly have any uh commonality with each other but there they are all the left we call them you know but they're all they they're all in no way able to take any of each other's sides in this yep. Well, it's coming back to bite Biden in the ass a little bit, uh, at least among the Muslim yeah. voting population of America. Uh, serious dad question, Tom, is the abortion question with respect to Down syndrome babies. I know Sam would be against it 100 percent. I've previously expressed that I, in that case, I would actually leave it up to the parents because there are high functioning Down syndrome babies. I assume that you uh, in in the Sewell ethno state, they would not be born. Not trying to get, not trying to trip you up, but I, I, if I caught that right on Twitter, you know, you were going hard on the. It's all right. We're not recording the video, so. That's right. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> not it's, it's it's not a gotcha, but a serious question. Well, maybe Down I could maybe, maybe I could oh. start, and then he can he can think of how he wants to answer. Go ahead. I I I can understand the the notion or the the impetus somebody might have to to answer it like the way you're describing, um, and it that's, might be that's words in his mouth. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's say not him. Somebody else would say, no, we're not going to have those people, and maybe that's born of kind of the desperate situation, like he talked about the necessity, unfortunately, to be cruel and the the sort of very. Uh, 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 stark measures that we have to envision and things like that. But in a different type of time, maybe not even that much of a different time. I mean, I know 
let's say, large Christian families and they have a child where there's a problem such as Down syndrome or something else, that child finds its place in the family and, and the family loves that child and love grows. You know, we, when we talk about having large families, some people will object and say, well, oh, if I have one child now, two, every second, third, fourth child, I'm dividing up the love in the family. I want to, I want to give all the time to the fewer children where I would say that you multiply, you don't divide, you multiply the love when you have more children. And uh, in the right type of uh, situation, even a child that has a problem like that finds his place in the family. And uh, uh, it is a hallmark of our people to be um, compassionate and, and to love in that way. Uh, but, you know, like what Tom has been through, or some of us have known these, the, the cruelty of the world done to us, I can understand maybe that uh, uh, kind of a first place reaction to to say, uh, oh yeah, well we 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 would abort those children, but no, I would be against aborting those children, and I think that those children don't like I've, I'm describing to you the large family, and I've known some families like that. That child does not take away from anybody, but by aborting that child or not loving that child, I think that does take away. How about it, Tommy boy? If I could be so glib. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot to say on the subject. And it's hard to give you, you know, if, if I was asked simply a yes or a no, if it was just the shortest possible answer, it would be yes. In my personal circumstance, that's what I would do. Uh, I am against abortion in general. Uh, and I know that there's an argument that's always made oh, well, what about rape and what about incest? And, uh, you know, that's a leftist. The left will always use those kind of talking points where they'll say, oh, well, you're against abortion. Well, what if your wife was raped? Well, I know a lot of Christians that will say, well, you know, that was God's plan or that's a horrible circumstance, but a baby shouldn't have to die or suffer. And a lot of people focus on the exceptions instead of the rule. And I try to focus on the rules and, you know, we can worry about the exceptions later, but we, we should at least find some common ground with the rules. And I'm on the same side as Christians in that sense, even though I'm a pagan, I'm on the same side on the abortion question that as a general rule, I'm against, I believe that it's disgusting, immoral. Um, we need to bring about conditions that save the white race. We're being genocided because the government and the system and the media are bringing about conditions that are destroying our birth rate and destroying our harmony and the harmony of our wives and our economic stability and all these other things that are factors. Um, sorry, Rollo, you, you're putting your hand up. Is there something... No, I want to go next. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Well, all right. I'll try to make it faster then. Um, yeah, so obviously you're asking a lot of questions. The short answer is yes, I would do it. The short answer is yes, if I was in power in a country and I was the prime minister or president or Gruppenfuhrer or whatever it's called, uh, I would, in the Sul ethnostate, I would allow uh, people to do that on the grounds um, that they have Down syndrome. And the main reason for that is I see the heights that our race can get to. I see what we can create through eugenic process and eugenic focus. And I think we need to balance folkism and elitism. I've done streams on this subject before where I think there's nothing wrong with being an elitist. Obviously, there's a cruelty that's attached to it. 
but we need to balance that with folkism or, or what Hitler described as socialism. Obviously, we don't use that word. It's a bit of a dirty word 100 years later. But the, I call it folkism. We need to balance folkism and elitism, and that's that love and altruism and care for our own people. I just draw the line in the sand when it comes to genetic, like very clear and obvious genetic deficiencies. I got into a short argument at work with one of the guys because he said, well, I've got eczema or one of the guys has like an intolerance, like a gluten intolerance or something. Would I, should I be aborted or something? And I was like, no, I think that's more environmental. I think that could be to do with diet. I think that you've got a genetic proneness perhaps to this issue, but I don't see that as being crossing the line in the sand where I think anyone should have the right to kill you. Like, uh, like your, your mother's like, oh, he's going to get eczema. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in that world where I think the movie is called Gattaca. I know there's lots of movies like this, but I think the movie's Gattaca where they start selectively doing the chromosome. I think we shouldn't play God. I don't believe we should play God in that sense where we're, oh, I want my child to have blue eyes. It's like, well, if you don't have blue eyes and if your wife doesn't have blue eyes, have 10 kids and maybe one of them is going to have blue eyes. You get lucky. But I don't think we should be allowed to do that. I don't think that that's going to lead to a healthy spiritually healthy society it certainly lead to a more eugenic society at the cost of the spirit so i can empathize certainly with the christian position even though i'm not a christian because ultimately when you're looking at eugenic advancement there is a potential cost uh you know risk cost analysis um and the cost is you know to the spirit or what is uh at least determined as being a spiritual matter to to you're, you're killing love you're killing god's plan you're killing something um Again, I'm not, I, I'm not a Christian. I believe that we can, that man is given the free will to make these tough decisions. And I do agree with your, your sentiment that there can still be a lot of love or even extra love in the case of a Down syndrome child. Uh, I just think that uh, I, I, would, I believe that it would take away from the energy of the state. It would take away from the energy of the folk, the race, the family, the mother, the father, the other children. And uh, it would set it would set a precedence. You know, I can see the Christian perspective that, well, you don't know what God's plan is. You don't know what that Down syndrome child is going to turn into and what role he's going to play. And that butterfly effect, you know, you, you keep that Down syndrome and five years, 20 years, 50 years down the track, something happens that wouldn't have happened. And that was God's plan all along. I can kind of see that perspective. Um, I would just take the risk. I would just take the risk. And I'd just be well, cool to be kind and just Aaron, my version of you, God. Yep. You, eugenics can be understood in a different way, which is maybe with our science, we can uh, determine how to prevent these types of things or lessen these types of things from happening uh, rather than, you know, when you use the word eugenics, maybe many people imagine that means killing those we consider defective or lesser than ourselves. And I don't think it needs to be defined that way. Uh, over to Rolo. And I just want to point out for the audience's benefit that Tom is drinking a gigantic glass of what I'm sure is whole milk. I don't think it's, it didn't look like raw milk to me that his wife delivered to him. So yeah, <laughs> it is, it is raw milk. It is, raw milk. it is raw milk. All right. You're doing the whole bit. Uh, go ahead, Rolo. And then I got uh, one more for you, Tom. It's Friday night. You've been a champ. I don't want to keep you from your family or your lads too much longer. Go ahead, Rolo. Well, to all the people that think abortion is a good thing, because think about how many blacks have been killed. Oh, if look, it's keeping the black population in check. Blacks keep the black population in check. The the black 
population didn't have like a steep die off when abortion became legal. It, it's, it's pretty much been the same. The only thing that went down was the white population just by making abortion. Okay. It, it's just enabled people to say, well, you know, what if I'm not ready to raise this baby? All right. Well, yeah, I'll just have an abortion. That that's a, no problem. Well, and the doctors say it might have down syndrome. And there's a lot of that where, they're, they they tell people that their baby might have autism right. or Down syndrome or something, yep. and then they just abort it. And, and it's just, there's a chance it Could might not. Fine. Yeah, it's not, sorry, you're, you're going to have a retarded mongoloid. No, they just say there's a chance. And and there's there's such a lax attitude on it. And it really has only affected white birth rates. Fair enough. Uh, la last question from me, Tom, and it's the sort of third part of that triad, which is the the very real culture war. And, you know, I, I don't care about some stupid social media thing with the girls dancing. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter where they're like, you know, all white girls doing a slightly ooga booga dance at a gas station, but they're all white. They don't appear particularly intoxicated uh, and there's nothing too nasty going on there. Plus the, the makeup thing. I'll, I'll just throw out there that it's a question of uh, perceived puritanism. You know, there, there's a cost to going to coming across as like the grand inquisitor of culture right now, as opposed to saying they're not, they're not dancing to WAP with a bunch of uh, greasy gorillas around them. They look like more or less sober white girls having fun at a like flash mob. Um, that and the makeup thing, and at least your approach to talking about serious cult it's it's like it's not a beautiful video i'm not happy i wouldn't be happy if my daughter were there but it didn't get my knickers in a bunch um whatever you want to share on that yeah i think that video was horrendous obviously it could have been worse but i come at it from the other angle that you know sure. what would hitler think what would hitler do i know hitler's opinions on jazz music and i didn't even think about jazz music until reading my calf i never even considered it degenerate and then looking back on it, it's like, well, of course it was considering what Hitler was growing up with, with Wagner and the classical music and all this stuff. So, uh, of course, jazz music was negrified music compared to what the Aryan soul was producing. And likewise, we can see the system in decay. And, yeah, it could be a lot worse. But what we're seeing is a rootless people, a, a cultureless people. And it, it was it – was, I was hurt by it. I was very – it was – extremely uh, it attacked me at my core in the sense watching these girls and I could see I can see why there was all the rage on the internet about it if you're a young man and you're single and you don't have children or you're not you know in the process of doing that and you're looking for a partner and you've got to tolerate this like this is what the average girl in society is doing and it thinks is normal and cool and popular you know you would be like you'd be infuriated by that concept so I can empathize with the young white men that saw that and uh, felt disgusted by it. But the white pill that I'll give, give those young white men is that likewise without National Socialism or the pro-white movement, without positive influences online and in real life, I'm sure you would be behaving even more degenerate than you currently are. And likewise, there would be white girls that would be you know, disgusted by that behavior had you have gone down the wrong path. So uh, it's good to have standards. It's good to 
you know, have a disgust response. I think one thing that the Jews are trying to groom out of us is our disgust response. Um, but what I would say is that when you take one of those girls and you show her the right path, you show her the right way and you, you dominate her uh, in a social sense, in a cultural sense, whatever way that is appropriate, you know, you're not going to have to deal with that problem in the future. And where a lot of the problems came from on the in the online sphere when I made these makeup comments was that the way I speak about women comes from a place of love. I love women. If I hated women, I would be happy with the status quo because I'd be happy with high body counts. I'd be happy with low self-esteem. I'd be happy with um, low self-worth and self-image. Um, I'd be happy with all these things if I was a manipulator, if I was an Andrew Tate, if I was someone looking to take advantage and use women. Um, I would be happy with the status quo because those people hate women and I love women. I want women to be better. And I love men in the sense that I want men to be better. I love our race ultimately. And the, the, the race breaks down into two primary components, male and female. That's just, that's natural law. You've got the race, you've got the racial body and you've got the male and female uh, of, of, of the race. And so I, I come from a place of love. And again, I'm cruel. I'm cruel and I'm cruel to be kind. So my uh, position uh, my frustration at the at a very small section of the community, I think 90 plus percent of the people that I was seeing in the comment section were in agreement with me to some capacity, understanding what I was saying in theory. And there's a 10 percent that completely misconstrued uh, what I was saying as an opportunity to sort of jump on my back and try and tear me down. I don't think it came from a good place. I don't think it came from good faith. And what I saw was uh, a woman put up a post about big titty goth GFs in the ethno state as some stupid, cheeky, silly post for her own self-promotion because she used the caption to promote her own um, photos of herself. And I patrolled her. It's called the Thought Patrol, and it's what you do uh, when, you, you know, you don't tolerate the kind of the thoughts in the movement. Um, I see a lot of women in the movement that are not in the movement for the right reasons. I'm not accusing this girl of that in general. I'm saying that these examples of her behavior are negative. What I'm seeing is a lot of uh, relatively pretty girls putting on siege masks and begging for male attention. They don't have children. They don't have families. They're surrounded by men. They're in a male-dominated space, a male culture. It's 10, it's 10 to 1 or 20 to 1 or 30 to 1 in these spaces, and yet they still don't have a husband. So in normal society, you have a husband when it's one-on-one, -on -one. when it's one man, one woman, it's 50-50 more or less. So how can you not find a husband when it's 50-on-one? I mean, the, the odds are stacked in their favor. They've got the pick of the litter and they're monkey branching, they're hypergamous, they won't settle down, they won't have children. Some of these women have been in the movement for literally a decade. They still don't have a husband. So these are problem toxic women. That's the reality of it. If I joined the volleyball team and it's 50 chicks and me and I didn't get a wife within a year, this there would be something wrong with me. You're gay. There would be yeah. something – I'd be gay or I'd be a womanizer or I'd be – you know, it would be some toxic trait. And if a girl in that community said, I don't think Tom's involved in the female volleyball team for the right reason <laughs> – I think he's here for toxic reasons. If some girl said that and then a bunch of pick in the volleyball team said, oh, my God, Tomette, you are so toxic and you hate men. It's obvious you hate men. Why do you hate men? 
You know, if, if the girls jumped on her back because she had the balls to call out my behavior, you know, what, what a bizarre scenario that would be. But that's what I faced over the last couple of weeks because of my comments. Sure. And, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the makeup section, but yeah. what I was saying was simply that in the future, and especially with my own daughters, you know, I've got one, and I'm sure there's more on the way, and granddaughters, I don't want them wearing makeup. I want them being happy with who they are. If they put on a little bit here and there for a special event, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, oh, you know, <laughs> little. I'm not going to cry over it. But ultimately, I want, I want them. I don't want big titty goth GFs in the ethno state. I don't want <laughs> it. I think it's toxic. I think it's cancerous. I, I don't want big titty goth GFs. <laughs> I just don't want it. I don't want it in the yeah. ethno state. I would much rather women not have makeup. And so they make a cheeky remark. I make a cheeky remark. Nobody bites off their head. I'm the only one that says, no, I don't want this. And then people bite my head off for saying, how dare you patrol that sure. thought? And it's like, well, someone had to do it. Someone yeah. had to put her in a place. You're not going to be on Twitter forever. I'll say for the audience, I think my wife looks more beautiful without makeup than with. Although if my daughter wants to put on a little rouge or lipstick someday. I'm not going to freak yeah. out about that. It's, it's just out yeah. of balance in our society. You know, we, exactly. we, need, we yeah. need less of all that kind of a thing. Yeah. And exactly. No and I, I, I believe, I believe that we get the balance by going hard the other way. There's a lot of, right. there's a lot sure. of room to make up. I don't think we find balance through compromise because things are so far out of whack. Things are so yeah. upside down. I don't right. think we get back to where they need to be. You know, I believe in the art of the deal. If you say, well, this is my line in the sand, and yeah, I am prepared to die on it, then they're going to come a lot closer to your line than if you make some halfway point saying, well, two coats of makeup is okay, but three coats is pushing it up. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think that's how we parent people. I don't think that's how we make a society. I don't think that's how we raise the next generation. I, I think that, you know, we need to, we've, if we do, if we are looking for a compromise, we need to come from a position of strength. And I, I believe that politically, I believe that in leadership, uh, I believe that in a lot of uh, different social forms. You know, Amen. in that in that vein, I mean, um, I've been trying to sort of formulate this as as we've gone through it. So, pardon me as I stumble a little bit. But you've you've brought up several times you're cruel. You you think that that's a, an important component, and I don't disagree with that. And uh, this what you just said about the you don't get what you want by coming at it from a compromise, essentially, right? Like. Do, do you see, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> the, I used to come at things from a perspective of what you need to do is you need to go shock these people out of their slumber was my attitude. Right. And I did a lot of that. And I think I accomplished a lot doing it. And I, I came to the conclusion that there were limits on how much I could accomplish that way. And I've been trying with not the greatest level of success <laughs> to, See to try to, shall we say, dial it up and down according to the situation, trying to find a bit of nuance. And I I can't say that I've managed to do that very well, but that's the theory that I'm working with now is that, you know, when you approach people in Depends a way you're that talking to. It, it, it does is what I'm getting at. So like, you know, you approach certain people and you're like, hey, this is the way it needs to be. And they're like, well, screw you, buddy. I got better things to do with my life than get barked at by you. Right. And then other people, you know, you can approach them that way. And they're like, wow, nobody's ever approached me like that before. And that's exactly what I needed. And so I, I think that it, it, you might 
turn around and say it's obvious. I don't know. But I mean, I'll, I'll give you a chance to sort of respond to that nuanced question, if you will. Yeah, well, I'll respond in an example and I'll keep my voice down a little bit because the missus is in another room. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Coach and Rollo will appreciate this one because they like talking about dating and picking up and stuff like this in their spare time. But there was a, an example maybe half a decade ago and I was at the club. I was actually designated driver. So I just went out with the young guys to the bar and I said, I'll, I'll drive you, I'll pick you up. And, um, you know, I'll have maybe, maybe I'll have a beer, but I'm not going to get wasted like you guys. Uh, and I was just standing there having my first beer and a girl came up to me and she was quite young, quite attractive, and she started grinding on me. And I'm just standing there minding my own business. <laughs> and uh, she turned around and said, what's wrong? And I just kept staring off onto the dance floor. I just ignored her. And she said, what's, what's your problem? What's wrong? Don't you like it? And I just said to her, why don't you show some respect for yourself? And she just stopped what she was doing. And she was like, I cannot believe you just said that. No one has ever said that to me before. Yeah. And I said, you should show some respect for yourself. I'm not attracted by that. I find that revolting. Even if I was drunk, I would still find it pretty revolting. Like, show, show some respect for yourself. She basically started crying and asked if we could go talk outside. And I said, yeah, okay, we'll talk outside. And then she bought me another drink. And then she just started saying to me, like, I think I've been hanging out with losers. And I think that's what they like. And I think that's why I did it. And I apologize. And I was like, that's fine. That's okay. I just don't think that that's how you should behave. And you, you seem to get it. And, yeah, it's cool. We can get along now. And we just had a, I had a chat and I just said to her, honestly, I don't really want to be here. I'm only here because I'm designated driving and rah, rah, rah. And we got along pretty well. And I won't tell the rest of the story. But the point <laughs> is, is that <laughs> the point is, is that I think especially with women, they need to be shocked out of reality. And if they run away, they run away. It doesn't matter. If she said, well, you're a pig and slap me, I, w I wouldn't even care. It wouldn't even bother me. And but, you know, truth hits people hard when they know it's truth. And uh, the guy that says, I don't have time for this. I don't want someone barking orders at me. Um, they're either never going to join you anyway, in my opinion, or you've at least planted a seed that will change their behavior. I've had a few examples in my life where I've come across other people and they've been quite aggressive towards me in their rhetoric. Um, not in the online Twitter sphere. I just mean in my personal development as a young man, where I've had people say things to me that have cut me quite deep. And I've initially rejected them. I've initially gone, oh, F you, F this, you know, you want to go, da, da 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 And then a year or two will go by and that, that seed is still sitting there and it's still, you know, kind of biting at me. And I'm like, you know, actually, I, I, do, feel, I do feel that there's some flaw in my character or I, I do, I have the introspection and the self-respect and the honesty. And I think when you're talking about politics, you, you know, you can get people that initially reject you, but the truth is the truth. And I think it will always stand the test of time. So I agree. It's I think the biggest thing I 100 percent agree with your sentiment in the sense that uh, it's not good propaganda. It's not good controlling of the masses. It's not good at, at getting the world view out in, in the immediate. Uh, but I, I behave in a way that's innate to me. I don't really police myself in many regards. Um, I don't try to concoct a method in any regards. I'm not actually as strategic as I might come across as. I just do what's innate to me and come what may. And I think a lot of people have this expectation of myself and other spokespeople in the movement that they have to be this kind of uh, this messiah type or they have to know all the correct answers and say all the correct things and never touch on anything that's 
outside of the the scope of of saving the white race or what they view as the as the version of saving the white race and um and i I don't i don't like that because i'm just me i'm thomas sewell uh and if i'm I, i don't see myself as some messiah type i'm inherently flawed i'm not the perfect man i'm just here sharpening the sword doing my duty and if you disagree with me good uh you know steel sharpen steel and let's keep going a little think- bit of infighting is good. A little bit of sparring. There was a lot of sparring going on. And what I dis- – sorry, I'll, f- I'll finish here. There was a lot of, of sparring that goes on every now and then with me. I, I like a bit of sparring. I like a fight. Uh, I like a-, a wrestle. And and then I move on. And what I saw online was bad faith. I didn't see people sparring with me. Uh, there was some, and that was good. I appreciated that, and it was back and forth. But what I saw a lot of, I had people accusing me of hating women. I had people accusing me of being an incel. That was ridiculous. I had someone, some some cringe uh, uh, Twitter account that just she just posts photos of herself wearing a siege mask, um, sort of pick me, you know, bullshit. And she was saying that Adolf Hitler would be ashamed of me when I'm just and I would just quoted quote in verse Adolf Hitler and what he believed on makeup. So just got wrecked. Um, but yeah, I'm an insult. I hate women. Uh, Adolf Hitler would be ashamed of me. Um, all, all this disgusting shit. This is not in good faith. You know what I mean? So. These people don't want to. They don't want to actually have a sparring match and sharpen their, their steel. They'll watch the sparring match and then they'll come in with a knife and stab you in the side while you're having a, you know, having a bit of a duel. So I like sparring. I like fighting mentally, physically. Uh, I think it makes us stronger. And uh, but there, there were some nasty people. There was that guy that made uh, Hellstorm. What's his name? Ren Renergy. He was saying right. that I'm, I'm like an Islamist. I'm a Fed. Um, I'm a rapist. <laughs> He was saying all sorts of nasty shit. And then it turns out, you know, he lets his wife have sex with other men. So I'm, you know, not not surprised, to be honest. But, yeah, anyway. I just think that your answer with the examples, I think, was really good because it showed the nuance I'm looking for. When the woman starts grinding you on the club, she's actually trying to please you is what she's attempting to do. And, And you're firmly informing her that she's failed to do that. And you help her to accomplish her goals. It's sort of like. What what you described to me when you're when you're dealing with people who are actually acting in bad faith, that they're dishonest, that they're bad actors, there's actually no negotiation to be had with them. And then you just treat them badly. I don't think that what you described with the woman was cruel at all. Right. You actually yeah. you, you you attempted to aid her with a with a firm response is, is what it seems yeah. like. And I appreciate your your clarification of the point. It makes a lot of sense. Her, her nickname was Terminator. She said, you're like a Terminator. And I thought that was pretty funny. The boys laughed at that. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, Tom, the thought occurred, you know, when it comes to planting those seeds in other people's minds or starting those fires, if you prefer, just a gardening analogy. Not all the seeds take, not all of them grow up into beautiful tomato plants or whatever, but some of them do. And the very first time I was confronted with or engaged with intellectual anti-Semitism, I was revolted. I thought, "What, what, what is this? That's only for knuckle draggers, but that seed planted. And then the more I watched, it, it echoed around in my brain. So you're not going to hit a home run with every single person. That's life. Some people are worthy of it. Some people aren't. And that goes full circle to some of the stuff we mentioned earlier. It is Friday night in Australia. And it is early Friday morning or late Thursday night <laughs> here in the States, as you prefer. Tom Sewell, thank you so much for your time. Uh, wish you many more babies and uh god bless you and the lads down there doing outstanding work uh couldn't be ah, it sounds lame i'm not your father but i couldn't be prouder of you i'll say it anyway (laughs) 
Well, thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure coming on. It's great to speak with you, Chris, as well. I've never spoken to you before. Um, especially I've really screen. enjoyed speaking with you, too. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's a shame that you didn't get as, as much airtime uh, as well, I took up most of the airtime. I, I didn't get a chance to ask, ask you any questions, or but maybe next time we're on together. Um, I would, I would sure love to have you on my show. We can do this for is, as long as yeah. you want one-on-one. I, I'd love to do it. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Well, I've got, uh, just for the audience and for yourselves, I've got yeah. a stream coming up with uh, Borjak and the South Africans. I've got a stream coming up, a, a Twitter space coming up with some Natsoc and white nationalist active clubs in the United States. So I'm trying to organize with a bunch of the, the guys that run different groups there because they have a lot of questions for me. Um, and I do a lot of mentoring with them uh, one-on-one over like a, over Telegram. We might call and we might discuss strategy or, or SOPs for an hour. And after each one, I always think to myself, I wish this was actually on air because there was nothing really OPSEC related that we discussed. And we really just talked about, you know, how to how to lead a, a, an effective group. And I think everyone should really hear that. And, and it might get them more engaged and more thinking how to solve the problem. Um, and so we're going to do one of those as well. Uh, and then i got a bunch of other things coming up after that. But certainly after those first two, the, the South Africans and the Active Club stream, um, certainly I'm free to to get on the what's it called now your your show i i actually do two of them i'd want to have you on the radical agenda we don't we don't yeah. uh we we I'm go sad. a little softer on the monday show for the payment processors on the radical agenda we don't have financial services anymore and we can do whatever the heck we want <laughs> sounds good well i'll be available yeah and i just appreciate the full house guys everything you're doing uh it's a great decorum you guys run with your show uh it's certainly uh something that is needed in the wider scene and something that I hope you have the energy and I hope that your supporters also feel the energy to keep you guys going. It's always an honor to come on the show and I really enjoy it. And I'm not just saying that, you know, I do a lot of streams and this is probably one of my favorite ones in the sense that it's a good balance. You even bring the humor out of me, you know, you you shut the (laughs) Terminator down for a bit and you actually try to make me funny and you had to go at me to start for not being funny. And it's like, well, you're getting better, but (laughs) Everything in this world can be made into something better. That's what Adolf Hitler said. Maybe one day I'll be funny and uh, I'll just keep crying. And now I really appreciate it. It's great energy and it's great listening. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Amen. Hail victory. God, God bless. Hail victory. White power. You don't forget God bless. that one too. See you guys. <laughs> see you, buddy. Thanks a lot. Do this little one, you know. <laughs> see you guys. That's right. See you, bud. All right. <clears throat> Living legend, I'll say it. He's he's one of the best, if not the best, that we got. <clears throat> and I've I've I won't say that. I've had many people say, "Man, I wish you were operating here." So something to emulate for the audience. Sure. Don't be a, don't be a fanboy or a fan girl. Channel it yourself, bunch of luggies. Uh, we it is late as hell. Uh, Sam yeah. is get, Sam's going to roll roll into work oh, like a wet man. dog tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, let me go yeah. to Craig. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It was, you know, it was spur of the moment, but I'm I'm damn glad that you came on and fine blend. You're used to being the Fuhrer dictator, totalitarian Mussolini, Hitler, and Franco all rolled into one on your own program. But uh <laughs> I, I I thoroughly enjoyed this as I do every time I get to come join you guys. Um I want to re- I want to echo Tom's sentiment that you know, uh, it's full house is great. And it's why I wanted to work with you guys. And I'm really, I'm glad that you accepted the invitation. 
Um, and when, every time I come on here, I have a blast, and I'm glad to hear that uh, that the episodes that I'm on get uh, get some rotation. Um, so thanks so much for inviting me. You know, I uh, as I mentioned off the recording, I believe, you know, I, I really I'm not that familiar with Tom. I've heard his name. I know I know that he's a big name guy. You know, I, his name comes up from time to time. For you. But, what's that? <laughs> For he you. was doing he, he was doing the band voice but he's he started to get big while you were still away too chris he was he was a telegram telegram phenomenon at least here for a while and then you know got the, okay so while i was in prison he he his star begins rising I is think the that's idea. When his, his seed was germinating then yep <clears throat> it that that makes sense because it, that it does seem to me that the name stands out post release so that's probably what what has uh what has occurred yeah. and but but his name comes up you know you know people mention you know Thomas Sewell said this or that or you know it, it, and I I see his name mentioned but I haven't taken the time to familiarize myself and so it was it was a really I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with him he's a really interesting engaging guy and obviously been through the ringer so you know always got uh always got love for people who are uh you know have that uh, have that under the belt, you know. You bet, buddy. Uh, let's do this again um, for sure. You're welcome on any time, but you do show three days a week, um, and sometimes you need a day off or whatever. But anytime you want to come and hang out and just shoot the shit without uh, any prep necessary, you are welcome. Do go to surrealpolitics.com, sign up for Chris's platform. You get all of his stuff, which is voluminous. And then every once in a while, we do put some stuff behind the paywall. Um, Rolo's working on a project. Sam has w- one thing I want to release publicly, openly, not behind the pay- paywall. The other one we will, uh, but do it regardless. Surrealpolitics.com. Thank you, Chris. And God bless. I'm proud of you too, by the way. You know, I, I'll tell you uh, one thing I'll just, uh, it, since perhaps not everybody that listens to the show knows it's, you know, when you sign up for surrealpolitics.com, then they know about fullhousemembers.com, obviously. But then, you know, ChristopherCantwell.net also. So I, surrealpolitics.com, I can't have, you know, content that'll tick off the payment processors, right? But then yeah. ChristopherCantwell.net, I do have members-only content there. So, like, th- that's where – and one of the things that I think I'm going to start doing, um, I, I did one uh, uh, thing where I went on OMI TV, which is sort of like the Omegle successor. And um, I think that I'm going to start doing those, you know, when I have nothing else to do. And then that might be like ChristopherCantwell.net paywall content or something, because I haven't done a whole lot of like uncensored paywall stuff. We do the Wednesday member chats for Surreal Politiques. But, you know, what people are mostly paying for is really the radical agenda. They want the uncensored content. And so I got to give those people something and and maybe that'll, uh, you know, increase the uh, the the appeal of the product. And uh, and of course, they can use um, your code. Full house. That's right. Uh, if they get, uh, you know, thirty three percent off for the first three months, and then and then that credits you guys. And uh, but you know, even if they don't use the code, they can select your name at the drop down. You know, or uh, it, there's a drop down yep, menu. There, even, out even if they stumble credit right. you. So like, yeah. make sure if you're if you're a full house listener and you sign up for the product, you know, make sure make sure you credit them either by using the code or by using the drop down menu. Preferably just do both in case you know any any confusion, but. Uh, it's been working. It's been working pretty well. And uh, I'm so glad about that because uh, I'm really glad to be working with you guys. It's an honor. Thank you. Right back at you, big guy. Sammy, baby, over to you. Hey, uh, coach, I, I told a couple of those bad jokes at the top of uh, the show <laughs> yeah. there. Don't tell me you got uh, more. 
<laughs> uh, well, actually, I'm looking at a website here, and it has all leap year jokes. So I'll just read one more. What's a great thing about leap year jokes? They only come that, once every four. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that you only hear them repeated every four years. <laughs> Puts you to shame, yeah, Rolo. Some, some dad humor there. Can't well, uh, Chris, could you just like uh, come on our show and do drops? Yeah, <laughs> you could just be like passively listening. You know, I, I actually, that's, <laughs> I, it has occurred to me as a, the the project I told you that I was working on or before the show was actually like trying to make the drops easier to access because now I have like my soundboard has like a hundred sounds on it or something like that. I'm trying yeah. to like make them accessible to like scroll through them and stuff. I'm like, if there was just somebody who was there to do that, it's like, you know, right. that's a um, we, it's a good yeah. idea to have somebody doing that. How often I'd be able to do it is another question. But, no, 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 you know, no, I'm joking. Oh, uh, but maybe, I'll tell you what, maybe. you know, it's yeah. like it, one of the things that crosses my mind. I mean, you know, it, with my shows, I've been trying to figure out ways that I can do them with less show prep. <laughs> it's like, you know, for me to write my opening monologues, it takes all day, you know? And I so know. I'm like, well, anything yeah. that I can just sit down and do, you know, if if I could yeah. just show up and be Chris, that's easy. Like, I'll do that anytime, you know. Sure. So, no, I totally get it. Yeah, we do a show once a week at most. And sometimes I'm bringing it down. Yep. Sam's got to go. Uh, okay. Sometimes I'm down to the I can kneel I think, down uh, in the corner over there and shoot myself in the head. That would be cool. <laughs> that's Rolo. Uh, Chris, you got the closing music, so don't go anywhere just yet. Rolo, last thoughts, buddy. Thank you so much for make, helping to make this happen. You make it happen. I can say that. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I actually want to finish on the guy who burned himself. Uh, do, Please. Do you, rem- do you remember the opening of Naked Gun 2 where they're, they're honoring Frank Drebin for his 1,000th drug dealer kill? And he says, well, ac- actually, the last two I ran over with my or I backed over with my car. But fortunately, they turned out to be drug dealers. That's how I feel about that's how I feel about the, the all the leftists that are anti-Zionist. They're not anti-Zionist because of the reason they should be. They're anti-Zionist because they see them as white people. Right. It, it's exactly. like, like you're, you're, you're cheering for people that hate white people. Like you, you are colossally retarded, and that's yeah. good. They, I mean, like, like no, I'm it's happy not. that they're. No. Well, I mean, it's better no, than it's, them it's, being philosophical. That but, true statement but, is racist. But but it, it's it's not better because being anti-Jew because you hate white people it is it means you're more likely to have an enemy than someone who likes white people, but also like, like an evangelical that likes Jews. Cause it's easier to, to get that person to realize the Jews are the enemy than it is to, to get a, a, a crazy Antifa to, to think uh, that hates white people yeah. to, the guy to is mentally ill. Yeah. And, yeah. and to like, ways. Yep. yeah. So, you know, but anyway, a naked gun two and a half is, is a really funny movie. <laughs> But that joke, that's my favorite joke in any movie. Yeah, the, the, the biggest kudos I was willing to give him was cynically and saying, yes, you, you are a model no, uh, anti-citizen for the Palestinians. For killing him. No, no, no. Yeah. The biggest kudos I give him is thank you for killing yourself. That's the, what I can give him. Sure. Yeah. One, one less enemy to be perfectly honest on the uh, board. All right. Full House episode 180. 
one of my favorites of all time. I suspect I'll have to listen to it tomorrow when Rolo sends me the file. It was recorded originally oh, on the last day, February 29th, leap year 2024. It is now March 1st. We are almost into spring. That means I got to get hopping on a good gardening and uh, springtime. Uh, Green Thumb episode. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, of course, to Tom Sewell and his lovely family that will hopefully be uh, ever expanding. Sam, Rolo, uh, the whole bit. And I'll just say, you know, we love you, fam. Uh, we'll talk to you next week for sure. Got more stuff in the hopper. And uh, Chris, you can take us out this week. Sam sent me like six or seven skinhead songs. I couldn't. Just, <laughs> some, some of them were, were profane. So that kind of yeah. knocked him down. I liked a couple of them that I couldn't decide. And then a couple I wasn't so keen. But uh, Chris, you were so kind to come on relatively last minute. Uh, whatever you want to play. It's all yours. Whatever I want to play. Or whatever um, you want to choose. Rolo will put it in and post, as we say in the business. Yeah. Um, I'm trying I'm trying to think of what I I my what comes <laughs> to my mind is no face date. And I think that there's gonna be a bunch of stuff in there that we wouldn't want to play on full house. And so um if you uh you can, there's there's non-profane no nate no face nate songs, and we no actually <laughs> no no nate face no, yeah. is is it the is. die is cast one of them, do you know? I don't know. Well, tell you what, you send, <laughs> I'll, I'll look up Dia's cast. I at least have his first album saved in Telegram somewhere. Uh, and if yeah, that I can work, forward it to the, uh, to the FH 180 group right now. And there that's, it is. It, you'll, yeah. you'll have it there. Um, and so if the Dia's cast is suitable for this production, then <laughs> play that one. And if not, then, then by all means, play something more appropriate. I feel like we did this the last time where I was like, oh, we got to switch it up to war drums it, or whatever. Last time I asked for rally and you were like, how about <laughs> yeah. war drums? And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> that might have so. been my, I don't know if it was profanity or just like a <clears throat> good choice, but I like this one better. Anyway, Chris, we'll go out with no face, Nate. Thank you very much. Thank you, audience, for hanging with us. Uh, if you don't like this one, I don't know what to tell you. you know, just stop listening. <laughs> can't do much better than can't. Well, Sewell, Sam Rolo, and, uh, perhaps yours truly we love you fam we'll talk to you next week sam it's all yours see ya papers in Good the night, air everybody. that's a wrap Raise that shield, phalanx on the battlefield Got a soul bond with the weapon I wield I'm not the kind of man to magically come up from not a whole lot I owe it all to Caesar and I'll pay him back with all I've got Whole lot of new lands to add to the collection We'll get it with blood, sweat, and divine intervention Not to mention new blood-related brother citizens We'll bring them to their knees to lift them up from what they're living in We do it for the children, not a one of us is faint-hearted Building onto what our father Romulus started Don't let anybody tell you we got hatred in our blood Everything we touch turns greater than it was All I know is conquest and all I think about is war And all I dream about is glory till I wake up in the morning No peers in the past or the present, we're ahead of them Empire with the lifespan of a millennium It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply 
Can't fight with the city still, gotta ask why Hail victory, shining with the fervor of a madman Everything I do's in the name of the fatherland I'm not the kind of man to magically come up from not a whole lot I owe it to the Fuhrer and I'll pay him back with all I got and Last year I couldn't buy bread for my son This year the wife and I are thinking about another one I thought that we were doomed to get swallowed up by the obstacles Now it's hard to not believe that anything's possible Smile as I'm watching all the filth and the smut burning Who'd have thought Rome would come back with the Germans High spots that I'm burning with the heroes in the martyrs Anybody wanna party with us? We can party harder Even if I die, it's with an iron cross on my chest Threats on my doorstep, I could never dream of rest Fight it to the death, risk getting decimated I just hope that when my grandson's grown, he'll appreciate it's it It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why How'd I get to this point? When did I go so bad? When did dead guys replace my long gone dad? I'm not the kind of man who magically comes up from not a whole lot I yell it to my brothers and I'll pay him back with all I've got Never would've woken up if not for that frog Never look back, happy where I'm at with all my dogs Never be alone again, I'm a soldier in an army Never lose hope, scars healing eyes, permanently starry Couldn't talk to anybody, loneliness and pain Now my new friends are putting all my fake ones to shame Muscles getting bigger by the month and I'm boxing Xbox dipped and the books just just walked in, looking back, I don't even know what I was doing, always knew that I was moving toward a life well ruined, and it's crazy how I made it out the pork meat grind, but it's possible, play this song back as a reminder, it's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die, set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown, nowadays soldiers are in short supply, can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why, it's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die, set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown, nowadays soldiers are in short supply, can't fight with us if you still Gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why From this day forward, I will never surrender responsibility for my life and deeds this day forward, I prove myself through action. I represent my ideals. I carry myself as if the heroes of the past are watching, because they are. From this day forward, with all of my effort, I will work, struggle, and pray towards a world where no man faces the forces of hell alone, physically, mentally, or spiritually. From this day forward, I will hold myself to the highest standard and will accept nothing less from my peers. Forever and ever. Amen. Will the rise, will the rise.